Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast. The podcast that analyzes, dissects, and two sweets one of the most important eras in wrestling history. This week, we'll be taking a look at the biggest show on the WCW calendar, the brainchild of the sum of a plumber, that's right, Starcade 1996. Now, you can't have your biggest show of the year without your stars. And I got the two biggest draws in the industry with me tonight. First off, Fergus Looney, how you doing? Good, good. I'm feeling, feeling good. Feeling ready to watch some wrestling and dissect how bad WCW is. Like most weeks. Like most yeah, weeks. pretty much. <laughs> and here, uh, here with us all the way from the US, we have Connor O'Donnell. Hey, hey, Dave. Uh, are you ready to watch the pay-per-view of the decade, the pay-per-view of the century? They never seem to choose which one it is. The granddaddy know. of them all. Yeah, that's like the, the nine taglines they have for this pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, they never say of the millennium, which I'm very surprised with. Before we dive deeper into this, I want to give a short rundown of kind of what Starcade is. I'm not going to go into depth, there's a long history there. But to give you a feel for it, it was WrestleMania before WrestleMania. This was a Dusty Rhodes idea, and as he said, WWE might have done it bigger. They might necessarily have done it better. And it's always been an event for the NWA and eventually WCW to showcase talent from different companies as well. We'll see that a bit on this card, but the NWA used to get all the best wrestlers from different regions together for this super show. And for years, this show was very much based on wrestling and just good matches and, and dream matches to draw people from all across the country. Eventually, we see, and what's very different about WWE for years is they made it about, you know, the cross promotion. They get celebrities in, they make it an occasion. And for years, NWA tried to keep it very much about the wrestling. And that, that is a big difference. Yeah, so an interesting thing about the history of it is kind of the rivalry between WWF and WCW. It used to always be on about Thanksgiving, mostly in Greensboro. It was gaining a big following there. But this is when some of the tactics we talked about on the very first episode of this podcast, Vince McMahon telling cable companies that they ran with Starcade, they wouldn't get Survivor Series. And eventually they moved to Christmas. They also tried to move to bigger towns and bigger cities to get more of an audience in. A couple people associate that with the downfall of Starcade. But you could also argue it was something they were just pressed into by a, another company leaning on them. So with that background done, I don't, again, I don't want to go too in-depth. You could talk about the history of Starcade for a very long time. We are going to get back to, I guess, the present or the past for us. We're going to go to the Nitro recap for this week. Welcome to a new, new, new edition of the Nitro Recap. On this telecast, we are chronicling the past month of Monday Night Nitro. We have entered a new era for the NWO. We have now entered the expansion era. On the episode of Nitro, following World War III, Eric Bischoff tells the WCW locker room, you have 30 days. You have the chance to turn your contract into an NWO contract. You're either with us or against us. So WCW wrestlers, whose side are you on? And in the past month, the NWO has been depicted as their own wrestling company. So originally they were booked as the invaders of WCW, but the NWO, they're now recruiting WCW mid-carders and overseas talent to kind of boost the roster. And in real life, Bischoff's plan was to increase their numbers in an attempt for an exclusive NWO pay-per-view following Starcade. How bad can this experiment be? And stay tuned for our sold out 97 <laughs> review. But for Nitro though, last month, Eric Bischoff was the only addition to the NWO. This month, we have a 
whopping five new members of the NWO since World War III. I would be shocked if either of you can guess all five. I know they mentioned one of them during the, this pay-per-view, but you guys give it a shot. How, how many can you get here? Do you want to go first, Dave? There's a couple I remember, but I have no idea the chronicle order. Um, I know that eventually Beefcake, or whatever they're calling him. Ed Leslie, nope, like nope. Um, the barber, Brutus. Brutus yeah, yeah, the disciple. This is not the disciple time. Nope, no, not yet. I, the booty man. Booty man is what he Booty man, yeah, that's what he is at the moment. <laughs> he goes through a lot of changes. I know eventually, even though the whole point was that Hogan didn't want to get friends in, and they make an example out of him, they do just recruit him eventually. Ah, oh, who was at this time? Think World War Three. There was a certain tag team that broke, or that was going to break up. Yeah, I, this is one of my picks. I'll, I'll jump in, Dave, you, while you're you thinking. Jump in. Yeah, yeah. So I know for sure the one I'm sure about because he's on the he's on the pay per view, and because he's the reason this storyline exists is Masahiro Kono is definitely part of the NWO. Correct. <laughs> so the other person I wasn't sure if it was now or later, but Scott Norton. Yes, this was actually one of the weirder ones. So this one, which just came out of nowhere, is very bizarre because he's just kind of there. There was like a like a locker room brawl. Basically, like both locker rooms came out, and we see Scott Norton hit Ice Train. But I think WCW was like, "Oh, this is gonna be the big turn for Scott Norton." But like those two have been feuding because they were in the tag team, and so, it was so confusing. <laughs> so if it's not, if you were referencing tag teams then, and it wasn't him. I'm probably going to go with Buff Bagwell as well. That is correct. Yeah. Correct. He was he was the first to turn. So who else is left now? I would be shocked if you guys got the, the other two. I know eventually one of the nasties ends up in it, but I think that's a couple years down the line. Nope. Nope. No. So I know eventually Stevie Ray ends up, but this is too early for him. These guys are former WWF stars. <sighs> former WWF. Oh, is Big Boss Man? Yeah, Big oh, Boss Man. Big Bubba. That, that was supposed to be the, the first one. Shocking. Oh my god, Big Bubba. But there's no Nobody cares. Don't yeah. care. No yeah. one cares. It was, it was pretty obvious too, because like, why is Big Bubba coming to interfere with this match? Oh yeah, here comes a turn. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> so who's the last guy? I don't think you guys are going to get give, this one. Can you it, give any sort of hint? Former WWF star again. Yeah. Very generic gimmick in WCW. Hasn't been on our, any of our episodes. Oh god, hasn't been on. Wrestles on Nitro occasionally. <laughs> Sounds like the ideal person to turn. <laughs> yeah, yep. it's a big signing. I'll give him that. Uh, is it? It's not Stephen Regal, right? No, 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 no. No, Regal's been great. No, this is Wall Street. Oh yeah, formerly IRS and WWF. IRS is uh, pretty great. I think he's a really underrated worker. I'm not saying he should ever be a champion or anything, but like in general, people forget about him. I think he's really underrated. Or a member of the NWO. <laughs> His two sons are doing okay for themselves uh, right now. So <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, <laughs> one of them is about to wrestle pretty much as a crossdresser on pay per view. I think. Yeah, they they do love burying IRS and his offsprings. <laughs> it's it's a very strange that's a very strange angle. I think he, I think they're trying to go the whole psycho route. So so back to the NWO though, like this has been a weird kind of transformation. They're they're kind of own separate company. They're recruiting wrestlers. I mean, this does lead to kind of some fun segments. There's when Hall and Nash and Bischoff, they invade the commentary booth and they gush over which wrestlers they want to recruit while like matches are going on. So there's a match between Regal and Benoit and, and you know, Scott Hall's like, yo, Chico, this is 
this is a first-round draft pick. We should recruit here. He's referring to, to Benoit. So it's kind of cool. They're like, oh, we should take this guy because of this reason. Yeah. So so what do you guys think of this new depiction of the NWO? Because it's, it's almost unrecognizable to what we had at Fall Brawl. Now it's kind of like no clear objective, really. No propaganda anymore. No signature NWO promos anymore. I mean, for me, it, it, that's just, it's losing the whole point of it. I mean, I get that there's a natural progression eventually where you have to have some sort of evolution but the reason it's cool is because they're the anti-establishment so if they become the establishment not so sure how cool it is anymore you are what you hate yeah yeah there's definitely some that about it there's something a little bit cheap about what they're doing this whole recruitment drive thing no matter what it's kind of fun to watch it creates tension in tv so it's really easy just to continuously pick up random people turn people all the time it's not creative. It's not different. It's just really easy to create excitement out of nothing. And we've seen this with a lot of bad angles in the future. So years from this point, we're going to, uh, you know, the the invasion angle in WWF is like not good. And there's not a lot of good that comes out of it. But there's something exciting about thinking, oh, which one of these former WCW guys could jump ship to the bad guys, to the Alliance? You know, what's going to happen next week? No one knows. No, the, the script is out the window. Just they could turn anyone at any second. And that creates a, I want to call it lazy excitement. You don't need to be good at writing to make this exciting. You just need to put that premise out there. And it makes for good weekly TV. There, there was even a time in TNA of all things where they had an angle where there was an invading group. And we didn't know what any of them were. They all had their faces covered. And that was terrible. They still got a, a spike in their ratings because people just want to know. People want mysteries solved. You know, people like mysteries. It's enticing. It's short-term booking with no, like, no premise about what they're going to do in the long run. Yeah, exactly. So, so what you're saying is WCW kind of ruined wrestling to come from this. <laughs> a little bit because people have tried to rehash this in different forms a lot of time and not successfully because none of them can catch that you know initial actual good writing like the initial you know two guys invading one person turning i'll even say i'm not a fan of the giant turn but i get it the initial month of writing here as much as i don't like a lot of the wrestling is good and you can see when it starts to progress into laziness yeah, it felt rushed as well. I, I feel like we could have gone a couple more months of this kind of invasion run. Yeah, so. yeah 100%. I, the, the whole Bischoff reveal, again, whether you like or don't like Bischoff being in charge of them, you could have done that in two or three months, four months, five months. You really didn't need it to be, what was it, three months after the reveal? Yeah. I'll, I'll say X-Pac for an example. It's kind of weird. You know, He was supposed to be another surprising added member We've seen one X-Pac match. That's it. Yeah, we, it, there's been nothing from him. And that's how he is on this pay-per-view. He's just there. He's just a lackey. Yeah, so I, I think you put your uh, you put your finger on it there, because there's no long-term booking, right? There's just, how do we cre- create excitement next week? Yeah, a lot more to come. A lot happened on the past month of Nitro as well. Several run-ins from Sting, but we'll kind of get into the details of that later on in the show so enough dilly dallying let's get to the granddaddy of them all the pay-per-view of the century starcade 1996 two of wrestling's biggest icons lock up in this all-important reunion hollywood hulk hogan you got a real big problem my friend versus rowdy roddy piper I'm the only guy you have never 
able to As they say under the big top, it's showtime! Hogan leads the NWO. We are going to build a dynasty. Piper walks alone. I am not with the WCW. I am not with the NWO. I'm Roddy Piper. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Piper, I'm gonna break you in half. Versus Roddy Roddy Piper. No surrender, no retreat. It's Starcade, the granddaddy of them all. So we start with, I think, a bit of a generic package between Hogan and Piper. They're digging up this rivalry. There hasn't been too much to it so far. We're still on this very much Piper is not WCW. And they make, they make that abundantly clear later in the pay-per-view as well. He's in it for himself. It's Icon versus Icon. It's not WCW versus NWO. Fergus, how, how do you think? what do you think of this angle, the kind of direction they're going with it? The thing that first stood out to me from, from this entire angle is that they're pitching their main pay-per-view of the entire year. It's like the culmination of everything they're doing. And it's centered around one guy who hasn't, who's only been in WCW for the last month. And the other guy technically isn't supposed to be part of the company anymore. And yet we're on a WCW pay-per-view. So it's a bit strange from that, from that point of view. I'll have more to say when we get to the main event. But I don't think it's in their best interests. How about you, Connor? Thoughts on this opening segment and this, you know, angle as their big Starcade main event? I agree with Gus, just the the way they're portraying the angle. As far as this promo, it feels pretty cheap. You know, this is Starcade. This is their their biggest event of the year. So I was expecting a little bit more, a little better put together promo, a little bit more hype. The pacing was very odd. It starts off okay. Hogan leads the NWO, Piper walks alone, then they play random clips between them. It's just odd clips, I thought, that they that they chose as well. And then calling again the granddaddy of them all, which was like, it's the nickname for the Rose Bowl. It's the college football game in the States. And I know WWE has used this phrase for WrestleMania, or they at least they used to. Yeah, they definitely did, yeah. I think it's just unnecessary for WCW to, to do this. Is there a small chance, I was thinking of this while we were watching it, uh, while I was watching it the other day, are we looking at these promo packages with modern eyes should we be like maybe judging these a little less harshly because maybe this is just what 90s promo packages were like i'm gonna try and go back and watch some out of other companies and see if they match see i i I did that dave i did did this okay (laughs) so i watched the wrestlemania 13 which is to be fair i guess a couple months later but still that one at least told a story it wasn't like the the quality wasn't shit yeah the WCW ones that we're watching are just kind of chucked together. There doesn't seem to be any sort of purpose to them. Whereas genuinely the WWF ones, they have a story and there's like a beginning, middle and end. It's basically a film trailer, realistically, yeah. is what WWF does. Yeah. And WCW just goes, eh, just find some stuff for it. <laughs> and that's about it. Okay, that that's a fair point. I was just wondering. And so people at home know we're not just being overly critical. I'm glad you guys did the homework on it. Yeah, because I love I love promo packages, and I wish there were there were better ones. And I think this is the thing that disappoints me most about WCW. I mean, I, I can kind of forgive other pay per views, but this is the big one. Starcade has a lot of history, so you can easily just tap into that market. You can easily tap into the history that these two wrestlers have. Don't use the clip of Piper saying, "I'm the only guy that you've never been able to beat," because he delivers the line so terribly. He, do, <laughs> so. he does. He delivers it quite poorly. I also think their music choice is a bit generic. 
not even bad or good. They yep. just choose very generic music. I'm thinking of some of the greatest promo packages of all time. I know this is into the future, but stuff like Shawn Michaels versus Taker 2, there's like a very iconic package with that. And the music they choose in the future, WWF, who are very, you are right, are very good at it. They choose very uh, emotion-driven music. And all this music we've seen so far for WCW stuff is super generic. Well, yeah, they're taking their music department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, another thing WWF, of course, does really well. They hire really good voiceover talent. You know, they have Freddie Glassy doing yeah. awesome voiceover yeah, work. Yeah. And then WCW just kind of has this radio. Like like I said, it just sounds like a truck ad again. Yeah, it's, it's just really weird. Like, they they spend so much money on their wrestlers. It's almost like they go, well, we've no money to do on anything else. So uh, just do whatever you can. <laughs> Same goes for the set, too, the, yeah. the, the Starcade set. It kind of just looks like an ordinary show. But, again, to be fair... At least WrestleManias didn't look great during this time either. No, no, that's they, true. They, didn't, they don't look as big as like the current WrestleMania. That, that is very true. I, I think the commentators here afterwards aren't bad. They keep calling it match of the decade, match of the century. They keep building it up, making it bigger and bigger. I have a note of Dusty saying he needs to know he's got a bigger man. <laughs> I missed that one. He's got the bigger man. So it's not he's against a bigger man. I think he means to say against or up against yeah. a bigger man. And he stumbles over his word. I'm like, Dusty's on fire for this paper. He is on love fire. It. He's loving it. He has, no weird, he has no weird outfit, though. He actually looks nice. No, they all look great, actually. Maybe that's where their production money went into their suits. <laughs> Sending Dusty to a tailor. Like. <laughs> so. For all the kind of messing around the video does, I think they do a decent job of putting him over. Brain says, you know, Hogan's never beat Piper. He doesn't think he's going to tonight. Tony makes Hogan look like a coward. He says the NWO has gotten much bigger recently. I think that's because Hogan is scared of tonight and needs more people for tonight. So I think they do a decent job of putting over the main event. So we can get on to our first match. First match is... Ultimo Dragon versus Dean Malenko, and it is booked as a unification match. So winner will get the J Crown and the Cruiser the Cruiserweight Championship is going to be added to the J Crown, I think the way they put it, and the winner is going to be the J Crown champion. Ultimo coming out with only seven belts, I think you know the discuss. Yeah, again, he only has seven belts, I think. I, I want to say that the WWF belt is being taken out so that they don't get in trouble. Yeah, that that might be the case. We got the commentator saying Ultimo, but the graphics says Ultimate. And Penzer says Ultimo Dragon, too. Yeah, they cleared up a bit in the commentary, but uh, they all call him Ultimo in, in the match, I think, as far as I remember. Dean uh, Dean gets the pop here. Ultimo is definitely the heel going into the match. You know this because he comes out with uh, Sonny. And any time someone comes out with Sonny, you you know that uh, they're the bad guy. They're, they're usually the foreigner. They're want... pretty much always the foreigner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you want to put us through the kind of build-up to this match, Connor? Yeah, th- I mean, there's really not that much... Sonny Ono does some awesome work, and it's just simple stuff. Sonny just comes down to ringside for Dean's matches in the past month, and he takes pictures of his matches, one time blinding Dean with a with a flash, and that's really about it. They, they mentioned it during this match that he's kind of scouting Dean, trying to get in his head, playing mind games, you know, that, that type of thing. <laughs> that's really that's really all there is, and Ultimate Dragon's been kind of built up as a, a legitimate threat, as we saw from uh, last, last month. Speaking of good work by Sonny, I like one of the lines, uh, very heelish when the camera is on him. Uh, what should I do with the extra belt? I really like that, that, that comment. Before <laughs> well, he answers it, right? Maybe I'll hold my pants up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> today, very happy to have Tanae back out in the commentary. He can be... A- Iron Mike. Iron Mike. <laughs> <laughs> 
he he can be a little stiff compared to the other characters, but I think you need that kind of straight man character in this group because they can't all just be the comedians, which they currently kind of are. I guess Toadie is supposed to be the straight man, right? That doesn't help when he doesn't know what he's talking about a lot of the time. We're going to take us through some of the spots I really enjoyed in the match. I think early on you see the typical chain wrestling that kind of comes in these matches. There's a lot of, instead of Dragon, I think Dragon plays his character very well. You know, we all know what he's capable of, all the kind of highlight reel stuff like Ray. But instead, he's very grindy in his offense. There's a lot more strikes. There's a fake dive early on. I think during the early match, the commentators also do a really good job of putting how important the WCW title is over. That it is easy with Dragon coming out with all these titles to make the WCW title look obsolete. But they make it sound very much like it'll be the crown jewel of the the collection of titles for Dragon. I think this is the most important one. What do you guys think of the early exchanges in this match? Anything that sticks out for you? Uh, what I noticed probably the most is how how over Dean was. Yeah, the crowd loved Dean. Yeah. and Tanae comments on that Dean had like a time limit draw with Regal, so he that he can kind of like hang with the heavyweights as well. This is just something like rarely we've seen in a Dean match before. How evenly matched Dean is too. So Dragon can kind of match Dean with like holds and smooth mat wrestling. So this. I thought they did an excellent job with the beginning of the match. I mean, obviously, it's a little, a little slow in the beginning, but I think that's kind of like where they're building up to. I, I think that one small problem with Dean in this role, I say that Ultimo changed up his style a lot with the stomps and the, the strikes, and he uh, he definitely did. Dean can definitely get the crowd on his side, but one they never get into a frenzy. Uh, I would disagree. I thought they kind of got in a frenzy later on. I, I think for a lot of his offense, bits where you expect bigger pops from the crowd... They kind of have to simmer because he goes into kind of big move into a submission. You know, his classic big move into a grindy move. And sometimes I think that takes the, the wind out of the sail. But maybe I'm giving, uh, I'm not giving him enough credit. Maybe he's doing this because it's the opener, right? You don't want the crowd to completely spend themselves in the opening match. And maybe that's why he's doing this. I think I have probably what's coming across between the two of you. For me, I, I this match is enjoyable. But it is starting to form a pattern for every cruiserweight match now that I watch, in, specifically in WCW, but it probably has followed on, is that you can see the crowd doesn't really react to anything that isn't a high-flying move. And it takes them a lot longer to get into some sort of like controlled heat segment anytime where they're going to do some sort of mat work with Dean. And they kind of sit on their hands a little bit and they wait for Dean to like pop out a suplex or for dragon to do some sort of high flying move i think it's starting to be bred into their fans now no no these are cruiserweights they're gonna do like a 450 splash so why would i pop for that when this other death defying move is coming later and i just started to notice that in this because like dean gets a really good pop when he comes out and then it just kind of fades off because they're like well i don't want to watch this kind of wrestling i want to see high flying moves it's cruiserweights kind of disagree with you i i thought they got pretty simple pops for certain moves at the time i now with the ray and liger match i completely agree i mean i think it helps the title for title dynamic at least from the viewer side i don't think the audience probably got or understood that at all but i've always no. liked the the title for title dynamic makes the fight feel big yeah that, that's fair and i think i agree a little bit with uh what goes on that comment i think one of the big things is they're spoiled with ray a lot of the time like not one ray match comes goes by and we've commented on this not one ray match has gone by where we're not just you know 
hearts in our throats. Oh my god, has he killed himself? And it, it's hard if you're in the same division as Ray and you've held the same championship as he does. It's hard to be up to those expectations of fans. I think, but he does. Dean certainly gets a really positive reaction. So funny piece of commentary from Dusty too. Dusty confuses Asai and Dragon for some reason. That just confuses oh, yeah. him. <laughs> Today's like that. Asai is his last name. It's like so. Dragon? No, no, Dusty. Just. And then, of course, finally, Tanay explains why he's called the Ultimate Dragon. Well, Dragon tries to wear him down with the surfboard, and among the Dragon's list of accomplishments in wrestling would have to include the many high-risk moves that he has popularized internationally, the most well-known of which, the Asai Moonsault, is a move that that bears his own real name. Dragon Moonsault. Or Asai Moonsault, Asai which is Moonsault. actually yeah, his last well, I, name. Dragon and Asai is the same thing. And he can do it, but this is an old-fashioned, a domino stretch that we got on right here, Iron Mike. Another interesting story about the Dragon name. I guess we've almost Americanized it to be called the Ultimate Dragon, but Ultimo Dragon, as he's known in Mexico, translates to the final dragon, meaning he was the final protege of one Bruce Lee. How about that? That's strong. That's strong. See, I might know all that stuff. Uh, another funny bit, because Dusty is on fire. I do think the commentators are above average on this pay-per-view. But Dusty calls it the Cruiserweight Heavyweight title. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a nice one. I, I can see, I stumble over my words a lot in this podcast. So I, I, I can absolutely see where Dusty goes wrong. And he's just so used to calling things the something heavyweight title. It's just funny, the Cruiserweight Heavyweight title. Maybe he's just trying to claim that he had a Cruiserweight belt reign. I don't know. <laughs> They're all in the same lineage, you know. Yeah. Long, long-term booking, he can make a comeback. Him and Ray would be, you know, <laughs> doing barn burners all across the country, I think. Yeah, my, my favorite Dusty moment is Tony calls a move a kind of a half crab. And Dusty's like, what do you mean kind of a half crab? And Tony just gets like pissed, like, are you going to dispute every word I say tonight? <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. Kind of kind of a half crab. It is just it is just a half crab. You can't kind of be a half crab. You are not. <laughs> yeah. Tony's like, come on, Dusty, don't call me out here. When Dusty's right, Dusty's right. <laughs> For once, he's actually right, yeah. 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 But again, we're uh, being a little critical of them. I think overall they made it feel important. I just kind of wish Tanae was out for all the matches. Yep, seriously. And besides the commentators saying dragon now, they dragon. kind of emphasize the dragon. One of them, one of them said it, and then all of them corrected themselves. I can't remember who said it first. So, it might, yeah, it might have been Tanay pronouncing his name like that. Right. And then just... And they're like, oh, we need to pronounce it like this. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you can so tell that's not what he meant by that. He just meant to pronounce it once the complete, like, Japanese or Mexican way. And then go to the English one, but <laughs> they didn't get there. So maybe a few more uh, a few more funny comments than I thought. But I, I think it's also fine at this stage. You know, they still make the match feel important, but you need to lighten up the viewers. I understand being this kind of funny in the first, even if it's unintentional sometimes, this funny during the first match. Yeah, I thought they went a little bit overboard at, at points, but at least they're not talking about Piper and Hogan, which they do in other matches way too much. A- anything that isn't Piper yeah. or Hogan. Th- this card is actually pretty good besides that main event, not to jump ahead too much. But I, I actually like this card a lot besides that. Coming kind of into the end of the match, or mi- middle to end of the match, we see the classic Tombstone and the ter- Tombstone reversal, and both men do it excellently. One thing that lets the match down a little bit, there was a couple botches... They don't affect the flow of the match poorly, but like Dean goes for a crossbody to the outside. He he kind of falls himself, but doesn't get Dragon with him, so Dragon just needs to roll out of the ring. Kind of small things like that. There were one or two moves that weren't too crisp. 
Did that bother you guys at all, or uh, not, did you notice it? I noticed it, but it didn't really bother me. How about you, Connor? No, I, did. I thought this match was pretty smooth. I mean, I thought other matches were way worse than than this match <laughs> oh, as yeah. far as technical wrestling goes. I, th I thought most of the match was pretty... I mean, I think what bothered me most was Dean starts targeting the knee. The match pace kind of slows down, and he targets the knee more. Dragon kind of initially sells it, but then he kind of quickly stops and does his cartwheels then. Yeah, that, I, th I think that's an issue in these kind of matches. And anytime I see a cruiserweight match where a body part is worked at first, I will give extra points if they remember it by the end of the match. Because it very rarely happens. They very much shake it off just so they can do their high-flying moves. Because you're not convinced they could do these moves on one leg, right? It's, it's very rare that you see someone sell it for an entire match, which is a little unfortunate psychology-wise, but I understand it. We got a distraction from uh, Sonny as well. Sonny not too overly involved in the match, which I liked. I didn't want to get it, uh, you know, over overcooked that way or overbooked that way. Sorry. So he just stops. Uh, Dean goes for the cloverleaf, pauses for a little bit when Sonny distracts him, and uh, Dragon gets the small package for a two count. Close moment. The crowd react to it well. Go home sequence for this match. Ultimo gets Malenko in a full Nelson. Dean reverses into one. Ultimo kind of flops down, escapes onto the ground. Dean grabs his legs. Dean slips a bit here before regaining his feet and lifting Dragon into a wheelbarrow position. <laughs> Sorry, this is a very uh, lengthy explanation of the finish. Trying for a wheelbarrow bomb, Dragon lands on his feet and switches around to the back of Dean where he hits a Tiger Driver suplex with a bridge for the win. It's an impressive sequence. Dean slips a little bit, but I think recovers and it doesn't really take much away from the ending sequence. And I think the ending sequence might be my favorite spot of the match. Connor, what, what did you think of the really? finish? Huh. I actually didn't like it too much. I almost thought it was a botch. I think the botch bit is that Dean doesn't lift Dragon on the first attempt. So he goes for a wheelbarrow bomb, goes to flip him into the position, and you can see he slips a bit. So it takes a little bit of the pacing away. But besides that, the rest of it I think is supposed to be as is. Yeah, I mean, I like the psychology of it because when Dean does a brain buster right before the, the finish... Yeah. He's visibly frustrated and you kind of, it was like the first mm. time Dean is kind of showing emotion and the commentators do a good job of pointing that out. So this is like the first time Dean's like, oh, somebody's actually getting one up on me because yeah. last time he won the, lost the title, Ray kind of just kind of stole it from him, but he's never really been beaten evenly. And this is kind of his first time. So I thought that was really good storytelling. I, I also think storytelling wise, he looks frustrated, but he, I think he also comes across as tired. At the end, he took yeah. so much punishment at the start of the match before he made his comeback and the crowd got behind him. And, you know, all the all the strikes and grinding him down paid off because it. What, what I like about these finishes is it's not like Dean was knocked out by the dragon uh, suplex or the tiger suplex, sorry. You know, he's struggling. He's trying to kick out. He just doesn't have enough energy and he's very frustrated and tired at the end. What did you think of the finish, Gus? Yeah, you guys summed up what my main point of it was going to be, is that Dean shows genuine emotion, I think, for the first time since we've started watching these pay-per-views. And he just looked really shocked, basically, that he's lost the match. I think it's genuine. I think it plays into the finish, and that's what they were trying to get, is that he doesn't get beaten by, like, Dragon's finisher or anything, like, that's his known move. It's just a middle transition-y type thing, and he's just too tired, and he just can't take it anymore. I'm hoping that we'll get to see more of this. Maybe only it'll be on Nitros, but I don't know if I can trust WCW to keep to that plan. So maybe we pro we, we probably don't even see a rematch from them knowing them. Uh, but I really liked it. I, I, I liked the finish. 
I, I, th- I like your use of transition move there because th- that is the, what a Tigerplex is, usually the ending to kind of a segment to have a two count. And I kind of like when matches are ended by stuff like that. Yeah. You know, usually in a lot of modern wrestling, it's seven finishers or a roll-up with the tights or something, you know. It's not this, you know, move, it's been a tired match. I trapped you in a pinning predicament with a move opposed to just a roll-up. It's a nice twist on, I guess, a Bret Hart ending of a match, which is just constant roll-ups. So I, 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 did, I did enjoy the, the, uh, that that finished the match. What, what ruined the ending, too, for me was Dusty saying that's it before the, the pin count starts. And they, I don't know why the commentators, they do this all pay-per-view, which really pisses me off. Yeah, it, it kind of spoils it a bit because there's no way you actually expect the Tiger right. Suplex to finish. It's right. a nice unexpected yeah. ending until Dusty is shedding. Yeah. First great non-Ray Mysterio opener. This is, yeah, I think this yeah, was like yeah. the first one that we can really definitively say this was awesome. And I think Sonny Ono had a huge part in this too. I loved him like hugging Dragon and he was like jumping up and down. He's like, the true Cruiserweight champion. <laughs> Sonny has been great so far. Sometimes I love Sonny, a little yeah. cartoony, but he does a lot of small things in this match to make it better. You know, this is also the road agent in the booking, but like he doesn't overdo his manager thing. All the little uh, stuff in the build up to Nitro was great, and he carries a lot of this feud on his shoulders. So I, I think he's been a great manager so far. I think what helps too is he's kind of like that car salesman type, uh, yeah, type character, yeah. and that's what he is in real life too. I can't remember what he sold. Just that sleazy enough, like to come off really weird. But yeah. no, I agree with you guys. I think my point earlier was more just a comment on how like the crowd and stuff react to it and how they're being trained almost but i love this match this match is great i really like dragon's approach he's very very strike orientated it's almost like it's just more realistic those kicks i love his kicks yeah Yeah, they're so great so it's just more it's much easier to kind of show somebody and go yeah okay i could i could believe that this guy is doing this stuff whereas like some of the things that ray does while it's unbelievable it is unbelievable and you're like like this wouldn't fly in a real thing in a real life situation yeah. <laughs> whereas dean and dean and ultimo are like yeah i could see them beating the crap out of each other yeah <laughs> I, I think i'm a little lower on the match than you guys still excellent but as i said one or two botches the final sequence having a little bit of botched across body none of them ruined the match but it, it's short of being like a four out of five star opener because of that because little botches bring it down a little bit but still a really enjoyable great way to start the pay-per-view and we go straight into the second match here. We get, uh, sorry if I butcher the names here, but uh, Akira is a ho- Hokuto. They say Hokuto. Hokuto. But I'm not sure if that's right or not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was Hokuto. but Hokuto sounds correct. But yeah, we're obviously butchering it. Against Medusa and what was a tournament final for the first uh, women's WCW championship. Yeah. "Quote unquote tournament." They never really show the tournaments. <laughs> yeah, they, they they reference some of the results and stuff like that. There are two matches on Nitro. That's it. Two matches on Nitro. I was about to ask. I, I, I assume like most of them are on WCW Saturday Night. Obviously, I can't watch Saturday Night, so I I don't I can't tell you when they have these matches and how they were actually booked. Yeah, I'll talk more about that when we uh in yeah. the wrap up of this match though. This is one t- small thing they could add, and I, I I guess you know again we're looking at it from modern eyes, but I would have liked to see some little clips from the tournament or something, even just them winning, even them just pinning some other women to kind of build them up. Zero storylines going into this. I just wanted to mention that. So zero, zero storyline. Besides U.S. versus Japan, that's all. We're, yeah, all we're they going. kind of they kind of bring that into it later on, but 
it's not it's not definitely settled at the beginning nope uh, <laughs> I, before we even get into it you have to point out what she's wearing dave oh amazing her costume is amazing i i, I have it described in my note as mad max mixed with some kind of anime yeah yeah joe, joe from mad max i i have shredder on there too shredder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have Mad Max, and it's probably inspiration for future Mad Max. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? It's probably just from an anime we don't know, right? It's like 90, I, 90% sure it's from some anime we don't know. I tried looking it up, and I couldn't find anything, but Damn. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Somehow Bobby gets Dolly Parton out of all of this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it's he, probably just the, the big hair. That's yeah, probably all sure. going But yeah, the mask and like the eyes, like uh, whatever, whatever, she, Bobby. She's out with uh, Ken Suki. Again, second name. I'm really bad at Sasaki. Sasaki? Yeah. Sasaki. Sasaki. This is great. And it's her... I'm really bad at pronouncing these names. And it's her actual real-life husband, right? As far as I looked up. He's also a famous wrestler in Japan at this stage. He is no slouch himself. Yep, and they point out their relationship later. I'll point that out when we get to it. But first, we have to talk about their shitty music with that Genesis, like, Casio-sounding bass. It's it's not amazing. It's not I mean, amazing. we could probably do entire podcasts about how poor WCW's sound tracking is. So. We might have to do a special bonus episode <laughs> where I play like random clips, and you have to tell me like what who it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it. I'm like, what I'm looking forward to most is that you're going to play Dean's music four times, <laughs> and we're going to guess four different people. <laughs> You know, one of my favorite things, I obviously I go down on Wikipedia searches uh, a lot. Go down to Wikipedia rabbit hole a lot on these uh, wrestlers, the ones I don't know. Or just to find some extra tidbits for the cast. Kensuki uh, is one of those random Japanese wrestlers that also has an MMA record. A bit like Nakamura in the future. He's 2-0 in MMA, hasn't lost a fight. A lot of these guys are like Undertaker. Undertaker always said if he was young enough... He would have went into MMA. He wouldn't have gone close to wrestling. He always loved the idea of fighting. But instead of being sensible like Undertaker and going, well, I have a full-time career and I'm 45, I'm not going to do it now. They're like, fuck it. I'm going to go fight some people. <laughs> they, just become, they just get into MMA for a couple of years, do well, and then they're like, oh, actually, this is really hard on my body. I'm going to go back to wrestling. Yeah, like some, some of that is born out of the fact that... Um, he still wrestles now today. It's Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. He would have started off in, as a wrestler and then him and a, a bunch of other guys moved into, they're called shoot fight promotions where it's like meant to be real, but sometimes it's fixed. And then they just decided like, well, let's just have actual fights as well. <laughs> so it, it is like, it, it it is a Japanese thing. You'll find lots of those guys who'll randomly go off, do some MMA fights, then come back. And then in the case of some of them, they try to do, fake mma fights on wrestling cards because that's what they do <laughs> yeah sure he, he plays the part he looks like a kind of guy that would do that oh, yeah. his hair his haircut <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna give out about his haircut because no. he'll probably beat me up like but <laughs> but yeah they always look legit like they always it never looks like you go eh, i don't know if you could actually hold yourself in a fight uh we we also get a a, a small side note uh, Mike, of course, leaves because the light heavyweights or the cruiserweights are gone. Lee Marshall comes out for this. Is this the first? We had Lee Marshall out for the uh, World War Three, but nothing else, right? This is the first time we're seeing Lee Marshall just in a normal bout on the in the boot. He did like an interview, but never he never commentated a, a match before. Yeah, I mean, God, God rest Dusty's soul, but him and Lee Marshall is my nightmare. Oh, it's not great. They're atrocious at this. 
I can't, I can't even begin to, oh, it's just. Well, luckily this match is pretty short, so. Yes, thank you. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that much. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We also got Nick Patrick. First time he's been out since uh, World War Three since his match, right? Nick Patrick. He was, he was, uh, he came back for Nitro the week before. Oh, the week before this event. Okay. Did he have airing, airings before? Uh, he slowly added them Still. as his character has progressed. Okay, yeah. okay. I didn't know when he had taken them. It also looks like he has some gel in his hair. It's slicked back a bit. Yeah. We get menacing Nick Patrick now instead of derpy referee Nick Patrick, I guess. No no neck brace. No neck brace, yeah. thank God. That gimmick could have got old fast, but uh, and instead it's gone. I, I actually enjoyed this match quite a bit. I'm, I'm going to take a... Hmm. Uh, you you, uh, you just said this improving. <laughs> it just doesn't sound like Connor did. <laughs> it, it doesn't get much of a... It doesn't have much of a chance, no. No, right. it doesn't get a, match, a chance to get going. And that that's a shame because I think these are two good workers. And it's the same with the last Medusa match we commented on all the way back at Hogwild. They looked like two good workers in the ring, Medusa and her opponent, but they they have a few minutes to get their, all their stuff done. Medusa does an awesome, sweet, like, headstand scissors from the top rope. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was awesome. I mean, Medu- yeah. Medusa is, uh, again, an enjoyable women's wrestler, so it was cool. I just wish I got to see her more in, this, in the build-up for this this tournament. Yeah, I, I, I think I think uh, Akira is a really good, like, dirty heel. She does a lot of, like, choking kind of maneuvers. She does a really nice Northern Lights suplex at, at some stage. I, I have that noted, just a really beautiful Northern Lights suplex. Uh, t- Tony makes a really nice comment. She bulldogged her a little like a DDT. It was just a DDT, Tony. There was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing bulldog-esque about it. Is this the the terrible botched swinging DDT? Uh, it, might, it might be the botched swinging DDT. Yeah. Oh, it looks so bad. But... She also again, they're just so rushed that these botches are a lot more prevalent. Medusa goes uh, botches a few times, and notably, she loses her balance on a power bomb, and Akira falls straight on her chest. It looks painful. Yeah. Yeah. And, but at least that looks like Akira could have reversed it, right? Like, your excuse is, yeah, Akira was heavy and she fell up my chest. I don't mind that botch as much because they recover fine from it. Uh, one, one note that I, I thought was a scary bump, Akira gets dropkicked to the outside from the top rope. I think that's insane, even by modern standards, for a spot. But uh, I was really impressed by that. This match is too short. Uh, it's way too short. They're, they try and get a lot in. I don't think the crowd cares at all, uh, which doesn't help like Connor is saying like there's no build up to it there's no real other than the fact that you're told oh it's for the women's title everyone else would be like why is this even on the pay-per-view yeah. like what they haven't put any effort into it they haven't tried to build it they haven't tried to show any sort of background for the two wrestlers other than I'm assuming the out of show context is that well we're paying for Medusa we better do something with her and that's all it seems to be that's one of the insane bits to me. They clearly don't care about this division very much. Akira is a good good worker, and I, do, I wouldn't imagine she was too expensive. She wasn't exactly a rena- worldwide renowned worker, but they're still flying in foreign talent for this, you know? They still have Medusa under contract, who is a very expensive worker at this stage. So for a division they, give, they have zero planning for and give zero shits about, they're putting on this match and only giving it eight minutes. It's, it's a bit bizarre. I think what doesn't help the match either, there's this weird dynamic between Sunny and Sasaki. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Yeah, like, yeah. they try to play that up. Yeah, Sunny tries to like cheat, like holding Medusa's leg, and then Sasaki like, no, don't do that. Don't be cheating. For- be honorable, most honorable. Yeah, As my weird. wife chokes the life out of another woman. How dare you be <laughs> dishonorable. Or bites her foot. Or bites uh, her foot, yeah. She, no, she's a-biting the foot. <laughs> <laughs> she's a-teething on the foot. <laughs> 
yeah, they, they play they play that uh, dynamic up between Suzuki and uh, Sonny a couple times. After the match, we see kind of Suzuki don't touch my wife kind of attitude towards him. Uh, it, it is a bit weird, and it's a bit weird again because all this is trying to be in eight minutes. We have the women trying to get all their spots in in eight minutes. A couple of them get botched, and I'm I'm going to put that down to you got to do this power bomb in ten seconds because you got eight minutes to do a match, and then you're also trying to get like. Oh, the guys on the outside have to portray their characters. You only have eight minutes. It's it's tough. It's real tough. That that's fair. I think another thing that really hurts the match too. That's they're not sure where to play this up because Tony mentions Chono in the NWO, so it's kind of these weird lines and references that like New Japan is kind of like involved in this wrestling war. And again, WCW is like taking the back seat again. So mm-hmm. it, it's just a really weird dynamic. And while we're having trying to have this like simple match here. Yeah, so the, the go-home sequence for this one. As I talked, the sick dropkick to the outside that Akira takes. While Patrick checks on Akira, Sonny hits Medusa with the flag. I, I didn't mention this. That they came out with the Japanese fl- uh, Sorry, Medusa came out with the U.S. flag. So she gets hit by the U.S. flag. Uh, this lets Akira hit a missile dropkick from the top, which was nice. And hit, I want to call it a scoop slam dr- uh, side driver. Or do you want to call it a... S- a it's a brain, brain buster. Bu- brain buster. It's yeah. a brain buster. It, it like starts in the scoop slam position, so it's like a scoop slam into a brain buster. We'll call it a scoop brain buster. I love the cover. I love Akira's cover. She just has her knee on Medusa's throat. It looks a bit shooty. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it's like cultures clashing, but it looked like the knee was actually on the throat a little bit, and Medusa was not that comfortable with it. So to answer your question, Wikipedia tells us that one of her finishing moves is a Northern Lights bomb, which is a scoop brain buster. Oh, there you go. Okay, I thought the, I, I missed that. I thought the Northern Light, Lights bomb was something completely different. In fact, it's it, it's claiming that she's the one that made the move. Ah, Has to be true. That, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I haven't seen. I have never seen that move. So it's kind of weird that Akira wins. I mean, we have the Japanese win. It's like, why don't we put Medusa over? I guess. And the other thing that just makes it obvious that WCW just doesn't give a shit. There's no belt presentation. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> they don't. They don't plan to do anything with this belt. So if you haven't been able to tell from our, you know, our comments, Akira is the first and only WCW Women's Champion. There is no women's champion. Is she actually the only one? She's the only. Oh my god! You can just say that, and it sounds impressive, right? As a random fact, if you want to put that on your CV, I'm the only champion. It maybe makes it sound like so you're. Bad. It is so bad. <laughs> makes it sound like you're champion for. What 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 sucks, right? Is Medusa is an excellent wrestler, and she's still in you know the prime of her career. She's some of her comebacks, some of her moves. While a couple of them were botched, are so, she's so stupidly athletic. And she's just going to waste like most of her career here. Again, you just have to put it through the lens of mid-90s. And this is just what women's wrestling is like. Women's wrestling in WWF, there's just no women's wrestling really. Until, if you want to call that wrestling in the, in the attitude. Until they get to be mostly naked. And, and in mud and yeah. pudding. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Like when you're a kid and you don't know any better and you watch this stuff, it's funny and whatever. But... Looking back at it now, it's really cringeworthy. At least Medusa, she gets to face some good Japanese wrestlers. There's yeah. a little bit of respect there. She has a re- we, we we might call these matches bad or good, but they're athletic. They're attempting to be good wrestling matches, even if they're given like less than ten minutes. But it's still it's still sad to see such good workers kind of treated like nothing. Next segment, we get our favorite segment on the WCW versus yes. NWO podcast. We yeah. get the WCWWrestling.com segment, and this time it's back to its heelish glory and a man who knows how to work his persona. 
DDP heating it up. Big old cigar blowing smoke in the guy's face that's typing for him. I have no idea why none of these wrestlers can type for themselves. And the guy asks... <laughs> because they're above this, they're above it. I, I assume Scott didn't know how, but at this stage, it's just... <laughs> to start. But... Uh, the guy asked a question about his up and coming match. Uh, what are your yeah, thoughts, on, are your Guerrero, thoughts yes. on Guerrero? And DDP says that's a stupid question. <laughs> smoke in the guy's face. Best internet segment. Ever. Yeah, by a mile. It's like DDP is the so only good. one who realizes. I mean, this is a large step up from Buff Bagwell being topless uh, for no reason. <laughs> so, and uh, Mick Foley's one of his books. Talks about DDP traveled with him a lot in the WCW days and stuff, and he says, "I can't." I think he talks to Dusty about DDP. I think it's Dusty who says he's definitely going to make it. And like, why do you think he's pretty old, starting whatever? He's like, he lives his character every day of his life. DDP is DDP. Doesn't matter if the camera's on or off. So he knows. He knows in these tiny segments, he has to get all his personality across, which is, I think, fantastic. D- DDP, I, I expected him, so I've only seen the end of his career in WCW, mid mid to end. I always assumed he was a decent wrestler. But I think this shows, like, he started off as quite the average wrestler, but he oozes his character. He knows the business very well from his managing days. And you can see that in the actions he takes and the way he tries to interact with the crowd. And a lot of people, a lot of new people are the other way around, right? A lot of newer wrestlers can be great at wrestling, but don't know how to get their personality across. He works incredibly hard. And it's very apparent. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I love it that we go this deep on internet ads again. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, I think I'm just warming myself up before we go into the following oh, promo. So. I'm, I'm gonna, oh, no. I'm going to let this. you guys <laughs> handle the following promo. So Mean, Gene, oh, mean Gene's first comment is he thinks this is the match of the, sen- uh, of the century, not the decade. He interviews Piper, and I have no idea what happens or it's supposed to achieve. And I'm going to let you guys try and explain it. Go, go ahead. <laughs> I gotta tell you, uh, Music City, USA. I sing like a bird, like a vulture. <laughs> and people telling me, "Oh, you're gonna kick Hogan's butt. It's gonna be no problem." Are you kidding? He's six foot seven, two hundred and seventy pounds. I'm a midget. <sighs> Sky Lolo, me right there, baby. He says, "With Hogan, gonna be a walk in the park." Jurassic Park, honey. Have you seen this guy? Have you seen what he's thinking? I have. I don't listen to him. I just look at him. I watch that big dumb mug. He's perfectly suntanned. I watched him come in in the limousine, the long Volkswagen, and here he comes, and here it is, the match of the icons. Not wound up yet, but I'm getting there. There's plenty, folks, of icons. Thing that's been kind of P.O. on me is like, we are the only icons ever in the whole history of the sport of professional wrestling. There's a little man out there that bought all from 77 to the rest of the time was in I Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. There's the guy Strangler Lewis. Couple of folks heard of him. Guy George Gorgeous George. Couple of folks heard of him. Then there's this big mountain, Hogan. You know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be something. She said, I want to be something. Give me an instrument. They gave me the bagpipes and a dress. Mm. I'm the one that can call a dress. You know why? 
Because I'm tough enough to. I went with that. What am I going to do? A piano? Hard to carry in a parade, brother. Hard to carry. My whole life has been hard. Six kids I've had to feed. My whole life has been hard. I left home when I was 13. You think I'm going to give up? Not a chance. Of course, it's the season tidings. There was tidings in reverse. And they say, it's better to give than receive. No! This will not be a problem. You see, if you take Hogan's Eagle, did I say Hogan's? Hogan's Eagle, what's your name? Roseanne Bars broke up, put it on his head. It's a yarmulke. See you later. Wait a minute, Roddy, don't go away. I've got to ask you this in closing. What about the hip? None of it makes sense. Um, I don't know what he's trying to say. No. I have at least twice on the piece of paper that I've wrote, written notes, and it just says, what? And followed by, what? I also have, he sounds like he's having an asthma attack in certain parts of the promo, because he's just all over the place. I mean, I don't want to speculate too far, but surely he's on some sort of drugs or something. Has to be. I mean, I'll read a couple of lines here. <laughs> I sing like a vulture. There's plenty of folks uh, icons. That's what he says. Like, I can't. I had to rewind it a couple of times. I'm like, <laughs> is that English? Like, what is he trying to say there? I mean, obviously, we know what he's trying to say, but just slurs his words. And he got an instrument and the bagpipes in a dress. What am I going to do? A piano? Hard to carry in a parade, brother. Hard to carry. <laughs> And shouts, shouts so much. It 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 does nothing to help build for that for that main event. That's what it does. <laughs> Every time he started a sentence, which I thought could go into, you know, I'd had a hard life, you know, a hard times promo like Dusty Rhodes. Anytime I thought it was going to go into that, he stopped mid sentence and added gibberish. <laughs> it was it was incredibly frustrating to witness someone do this, and then he hopped away on one leg when he was asked about his hip. Yeah, and I guess. That was the bit most sense he could make. He's like, I can still fight on one leg. If you hopping away from the interview like a lunatic is the most sensical thing someone can take out of your interview, you've done it wrong. Reshoot it. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, this is this is what it makes it even worse. Is that like you could genuinely tape these promos. Like this doesn't have to be done live if you're not sure. <laughs> like they could practice that, do it a couple of times, and just have it on the pay per view and it'd be fine. Now, granted, it'd be WCW and he'd be in like completely different clothes and probably a different hair color somehow because it's WCW but at least it would be sensible and listenable I don't know it, like me and Gene doesn't try at all to try and get him on how track could either he? how could he I mean but he just doesn't even give it he just doesn't give a shit like he just kind of goes look you say whatever you have to say man this is whatever i'm getting paid loads of money to do yeah, nothing you're, here. you're paid a lot more than me you can figure it out you know and i seriously thought we, we were giving him too much of a hard time for the like halloween havoc promo and i mean to be fair he did some okay work on the nitros but it's just i'm not seeing the appeal for piper i mean it just maybe it's just too late in his career that he just doesn't have it anymore from the promo side i guess yeah yeah and it, like as we said, we don't care too much about the main event going in. They could be doing better things and more. The opening promo, I'm like, okay, that's piqued my interest a bit. You know, the commentators building both guys up, and this has completely destroyed any interest that I had for it. This promo could have been the difference between me really wanting to see the main event and me not caring. And it's I don't care. Where Hogan annoys me, and I don't really want to see him wrestle, but I agree he's doing a good job promoting the company. I just wish Piper wasn't in the company anymore. And I've only had to I've only had to see him twice. Yep, let's get away from this promo, please. Yeah, I'm amazed we've managed to 
dig as much out of those two we, promos. We, we, we can get possible. by it because the next the next match is an is an absolute treat. I think maybe both of them are a bit too old now, but maybe even a dream match today. Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Our third WCW versus Japan match. Mike Denae back for this one of note. And I was very excited when I saw this on the card. How about you guys? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Liger, I mean, he's been, I think in the early 90s, he was one of the biggest stars in Japan. I know he made a few appearances on Starcade as, as well. So he definitely has the credentials. And this is actually the first match that I, I've seen from him. So I was definitely, my expectations were pretty high. I'm going to be curious to hear what you think of it before I say anything. If, if this is the first time you've watched him. Well, it didn't start off well because he comes up to the most generic, stereotypical Japanese music. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Small note, Sonny not out with Liger. So I think this is supposed to be face versus face match. It certainly seems that you can't have Sonny out with faces ever. Uh, I, th- I think that's a bit of you want to protect Liger's character. I don't think he, at this stage in his career, would be flipping alignments by going abroad. And Fergus was talking about before the podcast. Uh, do, you, do you want to say what his character is based on? So he's based off of an anime show from Japan, which is called Yushin Liger. It's a, he's a superhero TV series. Um, so his, his full gear and everything is based off of that. And that's where he gets his character from. The other note that I want to point out, and I'm pretty sure they pointed out in the pay-per-view, this is like two months after Liger had a brain tumor. Now, I don't know how many matches he's had since he's come back, but the fact that he's wrestling two months after a brain tumor is absolutely insane. (laughs) He also wrestles years beyond this. Uh, He's still going. Uh, Well, depends when people are listening to this, but still going from when we recorded this podcast. It's it's insane. That's the first thing I thought. I'm like, I didn't Mike Tanae just... I can't remember if it was our first or second cast, you know, give thoughts to Liger and his recovery, you know, thoughts and prayers to Liger on his recovery, and all of a sudden he's just on the WCW pay-per-view. Yeah, it's it's Hogwild. They're, they're talking about it on Hogwild. It, it's just insane that he's there. We get uh, going in the match, and we get the handshake, and the first thing I notice is Ray gets USA chance, but he's not booked mm-hmm. from the USA. He's booked from Mexico at this time. It's my pet hate in wrestling. USA chance for the guy that's the more uh, domestic looking of the faces and some pretty sweet early exchanges here I like the early exchange of shoulder block then Ray gets to kip up just to get the drop kick in like a lot of Ray matches we've seen before Liger is you know the power guy Liger might be the biggest cruiserweight we've had on this I, I don't even know if he's technically cruiserweight uh, he, he would still be a cruiserweight uh, depending on how you judge like what the yeah. weight class is but he was pretty much, apart from a, like a year or two period in his career, he's pretty much exclusively wrestled as a cruiserweight. Like he's never really wrestled for the heavyweight title over in Japan. I mean, he's probably not miles away from Dragon's weight. They're probably quite close, I'd say. It's just Ray is so small that everybody that seems is, yeah, bigger. That is true. I guess, I guess UV even looked big compared to Ray. So. Also, Liger's gear makes him always look a little bigger. Uh, some early, really nasty bumps by Ray. Oh, God. I thought he just died at one point. Yeah, the, the suplex from the inside to outside. This is a bump in modern times. I've told my friends, I wonder if everyone's ever going to do it. Because they fake that bump a lot in modern wrestling. They just do it all the time in the 90s. Yeah. People just get <laughs> suplexed to the outside all the time to the 90s. Looks really nasty. Are you satisfied now, Dave, that you don't want people doing it now? Yes, I'm very satisfied. I was more 
really <laughs> curious. I'm like, is, ever, is anyone ever going to do it for a big pay-per-view since it's faked so much no one's going to believe it? Maybe it's faked so much because for a whole decade it was just done constantly and murdered people. <laughs> Especially Ray, too. I, I love how Ray had to stand on the bottom rope, too. Yeah. <laughs> to get up to yep. his side. So that was, yep. was kind of cool. And then it goes into a nasty power bomb on the outside as well. And Ray is just taking oh, his neck. all the bombs. That's I have this the suplex followed by a power bomb was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> like and it totally is. <laughs> I've always got this I've only watched a handful of Liger matches, but it might just be because of his match, but he always looks kind of nonchalant. Yeah, he's really good like you can't see it on here because it's it's a very short match, but he's a face but he's like a kind of dick face. Like he'll do lots of little things where like he'll one up his opponents and he'll let them know. Yeah. He's very good at off-the-cuff stuff. Like, so if somebody messes up something, there's a good few clips of him going, ah, 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 and wagging his finger at them and going, ha, that's terrible. Or there's definitely a gif of him doing the slow clap when somebody messes up. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) I love that. He's brilliant. I love that, though, Russ. I hate when they don't acknowledge the fuck-up because it makes it look so much more convincing when the face just laughs it off or it looks... or goes straight away for a move. I like that straight away... You know, somebody gets botched and they just hit a suplex and they're like, hi, you, like, you screwed up, I got the advantage now. So I, I do really like stuff like that. Yeah, th- at this point, I, this is the commentary I was talking about that from Dusty. It was great and then terrible immediately. Of course, Dusty had, <laughs> had, to, had to ruin it. Like, he starts talking about like Liger's journey through life, explaining that after the tumor being removed that he has like more urgency to win this match. Which is just, cool. You're bringing like, just that match, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> just living as a human in general. So you're bringing the human element into the match. Cool. Thanks, Dusty. You actually did a good job. Then immediately after that, Dusty is adamant having Bobby admit Liger looks heavier than he did when they last saw him. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> body sh- shame the man just in the middle of the match. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> like, he doesn't shut up about yeah. it. Just let it go. The man's had to have a tumor removed from his brain, but he should definitely be in fighting shape all the time, you know? It's oh. definitely- <laughs> yeah, I almost had it, Dusty. And then he talks about the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> and the other commentators. <laughs> Noir, Dusty, you're like, nope. <laughs> I mean, Liger's body shape is pretty much this for most of his career. Like, he doesn't get any different. Like, He's always a little pudgy. Yeah. Okay, so that's even weirder that Dusty talks. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's not even... This isn't a big departure for Liger. No. Liger's always really impressive because he does this outstanding stuff, but he's, he never looks like he's in, like, yeah. Superman shape. Right. Yeah, and speaking of awesome stuff, Mexican surfboard, awesome. So Perfect. good. I love how he, like, shakes Ray up and down, too. yeah. It took us getting an all-time great wrestler, like legitimate maybe top 50 of all-time wrestler, coming in to do the surfboard correctly. But we finally got it. We finally got a perfect surfboard on the cast. Ding, ding. Take it off the list. Yeah, we get two awesome holy shit spots, though. Yeah, we so do. Ray the springboard flip and the dropkick midair from Liger. Yeah. Crowd was actually they, as Gus pointed out, they kind of wait for these kind of spots, and this is the the spot where they're like, ooh, all right, now you have my attention. Then the next one, Ray does the moonsault to the outside, but he goes from the the top rope instead. Although it's kind of awkward when they do the slow motion replay, you can kind of tell Ray was a little bit short, and Liger had to kind of quickly run forward. But like yeah. when you watch it in real time, it looks awesome. Liger saves Ray's life. Yes. <laughs> if Liger just does the normal thing and lets Ray kind of glance him so he doesn't look stupid, because it looks stupid running into the move if you do it wrong, Ray could have smashed his head here. It's a very long drop. Liger does it really fast and really sneaky, and he kind of like bends his knees into it to make sure he doesn't get smacked in the face by Ray's knee. 
But if Liger doesn't run forward here, I think we're looking at one of the most unfortunate botches in wrestling history. I think you're absolutely correct. In normal time, looks smooth. Doesn't look like Liger does a thing. You can only tell him in the replay. For the final sequence, we get one of Ray's traditional, you know, springboard from the outside to the inside to try and hit Durana from the top. But Liger just pushes him off. Doesn't hit the Frankensteiner. Let's Ray flip, land on his feet. Liger hits, I want to call it a forward roll kick. Do you guys have a better name for it? That's just what I have. Somersault. Yeah, I just yeah. had rolling kick, yeah. If you if you don't know, it might look like a bit of a botch, but this is just something Liger does. He does that rolling kick. And then he hits Ray with a Liger bomb for the win. Kind of nice, clean, neat win at the end, putting Liger over. It's not the most spectacular Ray finish we've uh, seen, but it's a nice kind of acrobatic finish. What did you think of the finish, uh, Connor? So in my notes, I have it looked like a botch. Yeah, same. So, really? The very start of it. Yeah, the very start of it. So that's why I was kind of like, when you guys were talking about maybe some botches in the first match, I was like, I thought some of the moves in this match were not as fluid. I mean, the, the Liger Bomb didn't look smooth either. I, I love how Tanae's like, oh, Liger Bomb. I think he just recognized it. He's like, oh, <laughs> that's our Liger Bomb, I guess. That's how we're going to finish the match. Liger Bomb also doesn't look very spectacular. Is that what it usually looks like? I mean, it, it yeah, didn't Yeah, yeah no, look that's what it looks that's, like. That's what it, sometimes okay. he doesn't run. Okay. Yeah, that's just the Liger Bomb, and it's very... I always found it weird. He, like, they do all the spectacular ma- stuff in the match, and it's basically double underhook powerbomb, right? So it's it's kind of unspectacular finish to uh, to a decent match. I, I don't know. May, maybe it's a botch. Maybe Ray falls off. I said Liger pushed him, but it's not a big push. Ray just kind of flips backwards off of Liger, so maybe that's where the botch is. But I thought it was meant to be what it was. It just wasn't a spectacular finish. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I have it in my notes. And I kind of put this might be the worst Ray match on the podcast. Hmm. Um, It's definitely not the best. And maybe I'm getting drawn in a bit by the novelty of seeing a younger Liger. Because I do enjoy his work. But I don't think it's the worst. To be honest, I think a lot of them are similar. Like in the middle. It's hard to call one the worst when I enjoy them all so much. But it, it might be like sec- it might be like second worst. Uh, yeah, it, I, it's probably not fair to say that too because it's really tough having the way the show is booked because we have three Japan versus WCW mm. matches in a row. Yeah. So the crowd at this point, they just want something different. So I think that's what hurts the match the most, really. And I thought Ray kind of needed the win more than Liger because, I mean, Liger, he's around. He appears on Random Nitros and Thunders until like 99. So yeah. he's around he once in a while. Up, yeah. yeah, what I'll say is, because um, I was curious what you would say, Connor, because this is a decent match. And the two of them never try in this match. This is the big thing for me is that they never get out of second gear. Like they're just kind of going through the motions and doing some stuff. But I don't think they're really putting full effort in. And it really, particularly with Liger, like Liger is way better than this. And he's still good here. So I definitely recommend you should check out some other stuff by him because he can be awesome. I do agree. It's not It's not a great match. It's not a great Ray match. But maybe there's something in it that well, he had a brain tumor two months ago. Sure. That plays yeah. into it. <laughs> that is fair. Um, <laughs> and so on. But yeah, I definitely recommend looking up some of his stuff later on. While you guys were look, were talking as well, I checked up. So the the rolling kick is is like a signature move for him, but I, I just didn't know what it was called. And it's it's actually called Aji Sigiri. So it's it's a full-on thing that he does from time to time. And then the other cool bit is, Dave, you were talking about MMA. And yeah. Liger has also re- has done an MMA fight. Oh, of course he does. Um, so in, to bring it full circle, uh, the guy I was talking about, Minoru Suzuki, is who he fought. And guess who he replaced to fight because it was short notice. 
I don't, I don't know. So he replaced Kensuke Sasaki in this match. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, nice little neat package. You'll be, the end of you'll be shocked to know that uh, Liger wrestling a man who's like 40 pounds heavier than him on short notice, he did not win his match. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he's had one one mixed martial arts fight in his career and he still wore his mask while he was wrestling as well but yeah no I enjoyed this match it's definitely I think the opener is much better than this it's a better planned out match and they they have a bit of a story going on whereas this is just kind of an exhibition they're just like go out there have a match fill some time I think we're the reason why I come down most of loving the dragon match more and this might just be because I think Ultimo Dragon has just adapted to the US style better than some of the other wrestlers not just Japanese wrestlers some of the lucha wrestlers just really haven't you can tell Juventud and Conan that they're they just don't really fit the this style they're just not used to the American style yet even kind of Jericho kind of is said in his book that he's kind of struggled with the WCW style to start off. And I think Dragon is just, he's really excelled in this American style the most. And I think that's why he's gotten the belt. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's also Dragon, he fits and suits Dean a lot more. Like he's able yeah. to wrestle more map-based with him and it makes sense. I think that's fair though. Yeah, like Liger is, he's never there for very long. So he only really... He's only ever going to try and wrestle in his way, which makes sense. I w- like, I wouldn't try to figure out an entire other style of wrestling if you're doing it for one night at a time. One of the things that I hated out of commentary in this match, so at the start of it, they set up that the winner will get to face Dragon in the Tokyo Dome. That's a big match. That's a cool match. And they're making it sound like this is basically number one contendership for the J-Crown. But before the match ends, they tell you it's Liger versus Dragon in Tokyo is what's booked. Do they? Yeah. Man, I missed that. So Tanay at the start of the match is like, this is basically a number one contender match. And I can't remember, it might be Tony near the end of the match. It's like, oh, and then l- later on this uh, month or next month, it's Liger and um, Dragon in the Tokyo Dome. Like, wow. Well, thanks for spoiling the Way to go. <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's a slip up and maybe Ray will still win, but no. Good match, but the people involved are excellent. Expected a bit more. Okay, so we're going to move on to the fourth match of the night. We get... Jeff Jarrett versus Chris Benoit. Hooray, another Jeff Jarrett match. Thank God. They've started acknowledging that woman was with Sullivan. And now that she's with Benoit, that's what's creating the tension between the horseman and the dungeon. And there's this also this underlining dissent. You know, Benoit still doesn't like Jarrett. And he's still a lot of them still don't think he should be in the horseman. Most of them don't think he should be in the horseman. But Rick does. Couple of questions before the match. A lot of questions before the match starts. Why is this match going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand the match a bit because you still have. No, 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 no. How can you understand? <laughs> they were they did like a month of booking of Benoit versus Sullivan. Sullivan yeah. Why the fuck is Jeff Jarrett in this match? I don't get it. I'm so pissed with this match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't understand what's going on either. Like it makes no sense. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of get why these two guys aren't a match. But why isn't it just against Sullivan? Why is it not against another member of the Dungeon of Doom? Where is Ric Flair? He's supposed to be at the center of this. He, Ric Flair is the only reason Jarrett is involved in the storyline, right? Like He's the only connection. Flair wants him to be, you know, a big part of the Horseman. Yeah, I think that's a big problem with this match is WCW has just done a really poor job of having Jarrett connected with the Horseman. I mean, they, they mentioned, oh, he's been endorsed by Flair, but that really hasn't happened since, like, Halloween Havoc. Not since, like, October 
The the other big problem with it is Jared is too like Flair. He uses way too much of his gimmick, and he's just not good enough. No, that hurts it a, a massive amount. And it's fine if he he can either play that or he can really play up that like he knows that he's being a shithead and he's just like waltzing into something. But that's not what his character is trying to be. So it just doesn't work. <laughs> yep. I guess I'm fine with them waiting on Benoit and Sullivan. Maybe. I mean, this is your biggest pay-per-view. So why not have this interesting blood feud that you've been building up? Yeah. Actually very effectively. For months. Yeah. And for months as well. They actually did a great job building this feud up. Benoit has some of his best promo work over, over the past month, which is actually kind of shocking. Yeah, Benoit's pro- promo seemed to have definitely improved over the last little bit. You know, he's definitely in the, the stable for that, right? They put him with the right group of guys to get better at that. Also, I don't think we're alone in this. I don't think we're just looking back on it with, you know, my pre-hate for Jared or anything like that. The crowd boos Jared. He's not supposed to oh, be yeah. the heel. He's supposed to definitely be the face in this situation. You got Benoit, who's taken someone else's woman and is acting like a bit of a dick. And, you know, is keeping the person that Ric Flair wants in the horseman down. And somehow I'm way more sympathetic to Benoit. Somehow, I'm way more pathetic to the yeah. Mind. There's weird lines drawn with Benoit because I I do kind of feel sympathy just because like listen, I was just out of the country. Why are you guys bad mouthing me? And there's this really weird storyline of like Deborah keeps calling out woman for no reason and calls her like a slut and like. Do you think that's shooty? Do you think that's like offshoot kind yeah, of? Yeah, I read on like different you know websites that that's why she was calling her out. So who knows like the real story of it? Yeah, it is kind of out of nowhere. And, you know, you're, you know you're doing a bad angle when I'm feeling sympathy for the wrong person. There's also that feeling sometimes it comes across. I don't know if that's the case here. You just don't like cheering a bad wrestler. And Jarrett isn't terrible. And he's certainly way improved. This might be Jarrett's best match on the podcast so far. But Chris is very obviously a much better wrestler than Jarrett. And that comes across... And that makes you kind of want to cheer for the person that's great. Well, yeah, and Benoit is just, he's hes more connected with the horseman than Jarrett is. So, and people love the horseman. So I think that's where, where I come down on. Although Benoit, like it's been very inconsistent. At times he comes down with the four horsemen music, but then there's there's other times he gets this shitty, shitty music. Shitty music, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's like at times somebody's like, oh, Let's play the better music, the Four Horsemen music. It's like, no, we've stuck him with this music. We need to play this music. Yeah. No, 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 no. We need him to not get too many pops, so we can't play the cool music. There's <laughs> definitely a genius yeah. backstage that taught that. Oh, Memoir's still getting cheered. Oh, give him different music. Give him different music. They won't pop to the music. And in spite of this, I think Jarrett's is worse still. I think we all agreed with that. Yeah, yeah Jarrett's a little <laughs> stick. I give, him a lot of, uh, I give him a lot of abuse for not being a great wrestler, a lot worse than his opponents here. But I think he'd be fine with a reworked gimmick. Like, if he wasn't this, like, weird country Ric Flair. I mean, you eventually get there, yeah. But it's not for a very long time, and it's not now. (laughs) No. I I do like the opening kind of slapping each other, pushing each other. I really like Benoit, this kind of mean edge, pushing Jarrett down and then kicking the dirt. Like, imagine the dirt. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the match. I really like it. And then, you know, uh, (coughs) he shouts, come get some, right? And the crowd start to turn on him a little bit here. Benoit, obviously the super over wrestler, is making the crowd sympathetic for Jared, and that's fantastic. The match itself is decent. I think one of Jared's better outings, but I kind of average. Like I, I maybe if it wasn't for the overbooked finish, this was something maybe I'd expect on a nitro. Tit for tat, bit of back and forth. We got woman involved a few times. She pulls Benoit out of the way, grabbing Jared's arm. 
So, Dusty, at this point, he calls woman in a banshee. Can you guys ex- explain? You know, you don't know what a banshee is? I, I don't. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Okay. That, you go on, Dave. Yeah, that's actually our expertise. Is it also Scotland, technically, have banshees? I think it's Irish. I think, I think it's Celtic, but go on. Yeah, it's basically a spirit that, that screams. If you listen to a huh. banshee's wail. Okay. So it's actually, just, like it's actually justified that he calls her that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he's right. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> it's like a really shrill, high-pitched... It would hurt you if you were close by scream. I tried to look it up. I'm like, how do I spell a banshee? I'm sorry, listeners. I'm terrible at spelling. So, Have you never seen banshees in magic? There's banshees in uh, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually really accurate. It's actually a decent piece okay. of commentary by Dusty. I mean, other than that, Dusty calls woman devilish about six or seven times. Well, I, that's because he likes saying devilish. <laughs> do you think he really dislikes woman? Because he very much gets focused on that. Maybe maybe, Dust, maybe Dusty has been trying to like run the pass on her for the last however long, and it just didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask just because they said at the start, why is this a no DQ match? My my, my notes, no DQ match? Question mark because reasons. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm assuming it's for the finish. Right, but it, again, it's just like why isn't Sullivan just put right there? Match makes sense. And Sullivan, you're the booker, so this... Come on! <laughs> maybe you just didn't want to wrestle Chris. I mean, maybe that was really what it was. Yeah, maybe they genuinely don't want to talk to each other kind of stuff at the moment. So I don't know. Um, a couple notes I have down for this. Jarrett, he busts out like a rare spear. Yeah. Something I've never seen out of Jarrett. No, so. he doesn't look good doing it. I think the spear is one of these right. dividing moves. It doesn't matter if you do it right or wrong. Some people just look nicer doing it. And I think Jarrett's a bit... I know it sounds bizarre... Jared's a bit a bit short to do a spear. But I mean, at least Benoit's kind of more his size, so it, it works a little bit. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I mean Jared's baby face off like comeback offense just doesn't really work. Crowd really doesn't care much. No, he, he really tries to communicate with the crowd as he does it. And the crowd doesn't care. You can't get the energy from the crowd and look them in the eyes if they really do not give a damn about you or your gimmick. It doesn't really work. As we said, it just Jared, he doesn't really have much to work with again, so yeah. I actually kind of feel j- bad for Jared as a person because he just really has not been booked very well so far. No, not at all. A, a lot of it, a lot of this, in fairness, is not is not his fault. Terrible gimmick, terrible booking. Uh, it's also he's a very average guy. Yes. Yep. What what it boils down to, it's he's an average guy with a very important dad. There are going to be parts where I like his character a lot more. I'm not always just going to be super anti Jared. I think he does evolve into a decent character. So after this, Arn Anderson comes out. For some reason, they don't cut to the ramp camera. Yeah, I, I like Benoit's face at this moment. I like Benoit kind of like, what are you doing? Arn completely blanking him. Arn, of course, goes straight into Jarrett's corner. Commentary do a good job of building it up and telling us that, oh, look, Arn's always done what Flair says, right? Arn, no matter what, obeys Flair. So if Flair says Jarrett is in, he's going he's gonna to back up Jarrett. After that, it kind of descends into all, all hell. You Morris and Conan come down and they scuffle with woman. And then Conan gets like really rough with her, which is a little unsettling. But again, back, that's the kind of generation where women got involved in these kind of storylines more and got kind of busted up. Not not the biggest fan of it, but that's fine. Aren DDT's Jarrett at the same time as Sullivan hits Benoit with a chair. So, and, th- and then this is really hard to get across because we don't get to see the chair is we don't get to see the chair shot the first time we have to see it on a replay yeah it happens at the same time and it's a wooden chair too it's a wooden chair and maybe again the show of animosity between them he nails benoit it's yeah. disgusting on the replay yeah. right to the back of his head 
he destroys that chair. It goes flying everywhere. And either that's a really good prop chair or Sullivan is taking his swings where he can get him because it, it looks painful. Arn then rolls Jarrett into the ring and Jarrett gets the win because he happens to land on top of Benoit. Arn does a decent job afterwards of looking like, oh, fuck, how did he fuck that up? How did he manage not to win? I just gave it to him. I hate this finish. Oh, the finish is the worst. Hate it. Hate it. Because I totally disagree, Dave. Arn Anderson looks like an idiot. <laughs> because there's no way that Arn can't see what happens in the ring. Like, there's just no way. So you have to accept that Arn not only DDTs, but also sends a Jarrett in the ring without seeing that Benoit's also knocked out. That just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Like, And it's... Aaron's character generally is he's like a smart enough guy and he has ring Awareness. ring sense and so on. So it's so dumb. They mess up the camera angle. So you miss half of what's going on and you only see it afterwards. And it's just a terrible horseshit ending. The match is not great, but this really kills it for me. I'll, I'll say what's weird about it is Aaron then pretends to look at the ground. So you could do other stuff to quote unquote distract Aaron, or you could have Sullivan just hit Benoit with the chair after the rolling, right? Like, you could have Arn send Jared in and then have Sullivan hit Benoit with the chair. No, because because then how do you explain Arn not seeing him getting hit with the chair? <laughs> well, yeah, you do it after. You're like, Arn throws Jared in and goes, here you go, Benoit, free match for you. Throw up the four symbol or something. And right after that, Sullivan runs in, hits Benoit, makes sure Arn can't get into the ring to interfere, and you have a clean ending. Well, not clean. You, you have It's still messy. But you have something that doesn't make Arn look like an idiot. But you'd also still you still have to get Arn out of the way so that he wouldn't see it that is, or hear. There's it. like a hundred dungeon members. Just have the dungeon members jump him or something. Like, I mean, I guess. Like you also have to explain somehow. Woman gets away from them. They don't show what happens yeah. to that either. Conan was trying to murder her. <laughs> and my favorite one of all is why is Kevin Sullivan wearing a horseman T-shirt? I, I don't get it. I, I missed that. Huh. Yep, if you go back, he's wearing a Four Horsemen t-shirt. I think he tried to be a fan. Tried to do one of those gimmicks where I'm just a fan I, in the crowd. Didn't he do that? He dressed up like an old woman at one point. <laughs> <laughs> this wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it's not It's not worse than Sting in a Sting mask. That's true, it's true. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really, really don't like the end of this. Oh, this it's awful. Oh, it's a mess. It's awful. Yeah. It, felt, it kind of felt like a Nitro match to me. With a convoluted pay-per-view ending. It's like a Nitro match with a terrible overbooked ending yeah it didn't make sense from beginning to end from the booking and just from like the just the build-up and just to the actual match also this is you morris's first pay-per-view appearance right uh, yeah sure, we should yeah. see an appearance from him i think next pay-per-view i know we'll see him on the podcast for sure I, i'm not a you morris fan but that is for modern reasons but yeah this is our first pay-per-view viewing of you morris i thought i'd uh, point that out as well as kind of Gus said, the, the way they, they well, the way they show it and the way they the angles, it's he's just very much an afterthought on all this. Well, obviously, so many people are involved. Everybody's an afterthought, I guess. Yeah, they just make a lot of people look really stupid. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's so messy, and now I'm not even intrigued to see the payoff match. I just want this feud to be over. I think that's what it hurts at the most because they did such a good job of building it up, and now it's just it's fucked. Yeah, and you get that, it happens sometimes in wrestling, like, you know that there's this backstage stuff happening, so you want to see, there might be real heat and passion out of these guys. Now I don't want to see heat and passion where Chris Benoit gets his brain scrambled by a wooden chair. Sometimes these kind of rivalries come out with really good in-ring matches. Matt Hardy and Edge have had some good matches out of a rivalry with something similar to this, but 
I'm not interested. I, I don't care anymore, and that's that's a shame. But after the match, we get some more shenanigans. Gene tries to interview Arn. Arn refuses, which I kind of like. Arn's just like, go away. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, Gene's mic isn't working, though. It's going like on and off sporadically. And, and then Mongo is just comes out to talk randomly. Uh, Michaels calls the crowd zipper heads. I'm pretty sure that's a racial slur. That's, that's a thing. Is it? Yeah. A racial slur for Asians. All right. Yeah, that's, all right. That's a new one for me. It was kind of weird not seeing him in his usual football jacket. He just had like a white dress shirt and khakis. Yeah, he was weird. I'm, I could have gone to pay-per-view without seeing what Mongo had to say about things. Hard to hear what he's saying. I hear that he says, road hard and put out up wet about woman, right? That sounds really dodgy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to sum it up, it just he just... Benoit couldn't get the job done against Jarrett is yeah. basically what he's trying to say. He's super anti-Chris and woman here. Again, call, basically calls her a slut with that road hard and put up wet. He makes a racial slur towards the crowd. 10 out of 10 promo by Mongo here. And the second time we've seen him in a, a third time, he was in tag match. Third time we've seen him in the paper. I mean, is this a heel term we're expecting from Deborah and Mongo? Probably not. It is <laughs> it's super weird. Or does does Deborah say to hung out drive it? The mic cutting in and out has made it hard to know exactly what was said. Yep. I will not splice it in because no, of that. It's just not, you can't really make out what they say. They show the replay of the chair shot again. The ref gets distracted. This is what I forgot to say about the chair shot. Sullivan only runs in when the ref is distracted, but they've made it known that it's no DQ match. Why does the ref have to be distracted for Sullivan to come in? Yep. WCW. That's WCW. We'll we'll move on here. That's an overbooked mess we we don't really need to talk about. There's a drinking game in there, Dave. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, we get the ultimate question of the NWO era. We get the Sting promo package asking where he's been all this time and what side is he really on. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. What does this mean? Sting definitely went off the deep end. We know you've got a lot on your mind, Sting, but you realize you're already wearing the NWO colors. You're wearing black and white. We're sorry. We need you and we want you back. Don't do what you're doing. Sting is in the rafters. What could be going through his mind? Is he NWO or what? I'm, I'm enjoying the Sting storyline. I'm enjoying him kind of being mysterious. And, you know, we complain a lot about non-long-term booking, but Sting is like the only piece of long-term booking at the moment left, right? Pretty much. And it shows in that promo because it's much much better than their the opening one yeah and i mean i want to see what happens to sting you know i know loosely what happens i've watched a lot of documentaries and stuff about it but i want to see how it develops and i want to see how his relationships develop and it's the opposite to what just happened with the sullivan angle i'm eager to see what happens to sting i'm not eager to see what happens with a lot of the rest of the stuff in the company my only problem with this is it kind of felt out of place here I would have put this right before the Luger and Giant match because the storyline kind of connects more with Luger. I love the like voice modulation. It's a very 90s thing. I love it. (laughs) You know, I kind of just complained about how WCW is so bad with their promo packages. This one was actually probably one of the better ones. Yeah, agree, agree. Um, We can move straight on to the next match. We got the Outsiders with uh, Six versus the Faces of Fear with Jimmy Hart. So we got Dungeon of Doom tag team and podcast favorite, of course, Faces of Fear uh, against the Outsiders for tag team championships, actually. So Jimmy, I always thought 
doesn't match the dungeon of the faces of fear. Of course he doesn't. He's like a complete cartoon character. Well, the dungeon of doom is a cartoon character as well, but he's just not scary in any way or like he doesn't seem snivelly or slimy enough to pull it off and his garish outfit just is completely opposite to what they're trying to convey, I think. Yeah, and just going off color scheme too, bright yeah. pink and then you have the black of the faces, so it just doesn't work. Yeah, I really, like, he doesn't even need to change his gimmick that much if he just didn't wear his stupid suits. It would probably be fine. Again, I'd much rather a different kind of manager style for them, but if he just changes his outfits to not be bright pink. A nice little touch by the outsiders into the match here. I think they look a little bit scared. They respect the faces of fear. They don't want to just... A lot of times you see, you know, Hall doing his... Like, he did the spitting and against uh, Harlem Heat or they do the his finger thing you know oh I'm scared but at the start of the match they seem like all seriousness if we don't look out these guys are going to take the titles off us there's, there's two big things that we need to talk about before we get into the match yeah. though first I wanted to bring up the, the fan sign that they cut to that says Hogan and the NWO are just rejects from the WWF <laughs> why would you cut to that <laughs> and why is nwo and wwf in quotations i what are they trying to say here it's a conspiracy it's all the same company it's always been all yeah. the same company i think they've mixed up the new world order that they're wanting to talk about <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> uh the other thing we need to mention before we get into this uh, nick patrick is the ref and he's looking mean as he holds the belts up but you know bringing this guy back Adds the crooked ref again. When I saw he's the ref for this match, I know how this match is going to go now. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit obvious. Yeah, yeah. same. I, I think they're going to the well a little bit too often with uh, Nick Patrick. I, I think they could have made a better storyline out of it a little bit now where WCW wrestlers refuse to wrestle with him or something like that. I know they could still do that a little bit in the future. But it seems bizarre that they that you would let it happen as a, as a wrestler that you there wouldn't be more of a different officiating and maybe just a pay per view where he doesn't get involved would be nice at this stage. I mean, I understand. I think I said that on the previous pay per view that it kind of makes sense because Eric Bischoff is just gonna use his power to plant in their ref, but it it just makes it really boring because I just know what the ending is going to be like, and we'll get into it as as the match kind of goes into it but so in the beginning tony and bobby they start the match like arguing a ton so basically it's four on three if you count jimmy hart i don't count jimmy hart yeah i know you don't well but if he is nwo nick patrick the outsiders have the right man in there to referee this one see i'm saying if i've never seen him tony in a black and white shirt i've never seen him hang with those guys i've never seen him do he's done some questionable things i will admit but then again he does other things that are good so, well, can I say this? Sure. Yes. The one-month grace period given by Eric Bischoff, either with us or against us, has come and gone. The fact that you're out here with us, the fact that you have not gone NWO means you're against them. So, by golly, start talking like it. Well, can I talk fairly and honestly? No, like you never have before. That's a, Tony, you are so right on. Tony, you are so right Tony, on. Tony, go to the back. Get out of here right now. You are so right on. That's good, and that's right. Go to the truck. No, yeah. I'll stay here. I was actually, like, legitimately thought, like, he was pissed at him. <laughs> it comes off as, again, that Brain is just a lot smarter than everyone out there. Where he's like, can I not just be impartial? Is that not actually our job, what we're hired to do? Like, no, not at all. I never know. I never know when those guys are just ribbing each other, though. It's really hard to tell when they're just having fun or going out ad lib or what was planned. Okay, so, yeah, we're, we'll go straight into the match. It's very much, even though I like that Scott and Nash are big guys. Like, they're very big guys. They treat the faces of fear like the bigger team, like the stronger team. And they, uh, you can see that a lot at the start. 
there's a cool spot I wanted to note at the start of the match that I really love because it's like wrestling folklore that Islanders can't be headbutted. I don't, it's this thing that's gone through generations and I absolutely love it. So there's a spot where Kevin Nash hits their heads together and they just completely no sell it and then double uh, headbutt Nash who sells it like he's been shot. It kind of happens earlier in the match too when Hall gives Manga a bulldog. I guess it's not totally different, but he's kind of, bulldog is kind of targeting the head. So yeah. And then commentary does a nice job saying the bulldog just made him mad. Yeah, I don't know where it came from originally. So if any listener ever knows where it comes from, please hit hit us up on one of our social media pages. But it's it's a cool tradition that has gone all through wrestling. Also, uh, Haku just hates selling anything. Or uh, oh, yeah. Man, oh, yeah, he just hates yeah. selling time. anything. So in this match, it comes across. Though, again, I think these guys get a lot of flack for not selling. But it comes across so well in this match. They seem super hard to beat and super hard to keep down. And Nash and Hall are really pushed to the edge. I, again, I've noted this before. My God, I hate how Nick Patrick counts. I thought he'd only do that with the neck brace on. But he's still doing it really, like, timid. One... Yep, really annoying. It's another example of um, they kind of knew the story short term, but they don't really know where to go with it now. And he's just kind of stuck in a holding pattern. So like Connor has already said, like, why aren't there people giving out about it? Why aren't they saying, I don't want to wrestle if he's my referee because I can't trust him. Like that should be the natural progression, but it's not brought up and it's not really talked about. What's even worse is that Jericho just beat the crap out of him on the last pay-per-view for pretty much not liking Nick Patrick and because he's being a dick and now he's just back to normal and it's like that match never happened so they don't really know where to go with it now hopefully things will change but it's WCW so yeah it's a real problem in the match and we needed to bring it up so yeah it, it gets worse as it goes I'll point it out later yeah anything you guys note of the early match you know I really like the headbutt exchange but anything you guys enjoyed or noted I love Mang's grunting. Yeah. <laughs> Some wrestlers that will do, like Hogan, he goes like that, Asha, Asha. Yeah. And yeah. so Mang does that a little bit, but he also does like a Hisha, Hisha. <laughs> Believe you me, the opening oh. minute of this match oh. showing that the faces of fear oh. are living up to their name. Oh. Yeah, they need to forget oh. about Nick Patrick going about their business. Oh. Oh. I actually like it. It's so good. I, I like wrestlers who do that. And it kind of puts an exclamation point on their strikes is when they do it mostly. Like at the end of each strike when they make it. I, I think it actually, it's cheesy, but I like it. It's a very old school thing I like. Mick Foley would do it all yeah, the time. Yeah, Mick Foley too. does it. Achia! Achia! Yeah, no, I, re- I really like Foley's one, one as well. It's the, it's the little things, I guess. Another thing I'll, I'll have to point out every time, it's the signature Nash lean with the hip into the corner. I used to do this yeah. to my couch all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> when I was a it's, kid. It's such a lazy, lazy knee. Like, <laughs> oh, It's not a knee. It's his hip. He, he yeah. just like leans in the side of him right into the stomach. Yeah. But I think it's meant to be their knee that like he's connecting with his knee and it just, yeah. It just doesn't. Like in fairness, it's definitely protecting the guy that he's wrestling with. So it's very safe, but... It doesn't look great. <laughs> no. I mean, even as a kid, that's what I would do. I would just like jam my hip into the couch. Like, yeah, that's getting numb. <laughs> so speaking of a, a bit unsafe, we get a moment. And I've said that they don't, the face of fear, don't wrestle as stiff as they reputation uh, says. But there's a very stiff elbow drop from uh, from Meng. Yeah. He jumped. Now, I think he did it because he misses his cue a little bit and he needs to jump. But he jumps from one side of the ring to another, which is insanely athletic to begin with those rings aren't small and he drops 
all his body weight on Nash to break up a pin. Every little bit of it. None of, just his entire elbow and all his body leaning on Nash to break up a pin. It's completely unnecessary, but it looks damn cool. And for once, the WCW camera is in the right position to catch it as well. But getting a little bit ahead of myself, that's a, that's a little bit further than the match. Was there anything, Gus, in the early match you kind of enjoyed? or? No, I just enjoyed like the it's two two tag teams that they've been around for a while. They kind of know how to get do their stuff in the ring. It just works. It does help that two of the people are from the NWO, so the crowd actually cares about the match, and it's yep. who they're paying to see. So they're way more invested about what's going on. The NWO, these guys are whatever about like Hogan or whatever other chumps are in the NWO now, these guys are getting cheered. People think they're cool. They're going to the shows to see them. A lot of people have their shirts. They're buying their shirts, yeah. And it's very, very noticeable. I agree with you. I think the match works. Uh, obviously, we, we love these two teams. They do some awesome moves, like a pile driver from Meng. That's really awesome. What I think the match falls apart completely for me. It's this one exchange. There's a sweet atomic drop and then drop kick over Meng's shoulders from Barbarian. Mm. But now Barbarian clearly not the legal man goes for the pin. And so then like Nick Patrick can't count it. This whole ordeal, it makes the faces look so stupid. So he's just so stubborn he won't get out of the ring. I'm pretty sure they just forgot the tag. They forgot to do the tag. Yeah, no, that's definitely what it is. But But I love that Nick Patrick corrects him and all they have to do is go to the corner to tag and he's like, shut up, I'm wrestling. (laughs) Just let me wrestle. You can just see it. Doesn't Bobby then talk about it quite a bit on the commentary? Yeah. Which then makes it worse. Yeah, because they keep pointing out, oh, why don't the Faces of Fear make the cover faster too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes them look really stupid. Oh man, that's what ruins the match for me. Yeah, it, it, it's just bad mix-up. In the end, it doesn't do too much to the match, but it, it stops the continuity. Fast-forwarding a bit, he also takes the pin at the end of the match. So he's not the legal yep. man, you can't pin him. So it makes no sense. So technically, this match is still going till today. No, no <laughs> one's I'm kind of okay with them with the finish a little bit better because Nick Patrick is Crooked, yeah. like obviously a shyster ref. I don't mind that one so much. I agree with Connor, like... They make them out to look really stupid. Yeah, the, the commentary, I think, assumed that they were going to correct it. So I don't think the commentary are too bad, as in, I think the referee and the commentary and probably the outsiders thought they were just going to, okay, go to the corner and do a tag and just continue wrestling. And mm. the faces were having none of it. I don't think there's much wrong with this match, but that is definitely wrong with this match. I mean, Bobby does get into trouble sometimes in WCW coverage because he's too logical sometimes. Yeah. He almost works it out too much. And then, like, kind of dispels some of the disbelief that you have to go through. <laughs> he doesn't do it here, but one of his best things is, if I was in the ring, I would do X. I'm like, God damn it! Of course, Bobby. Why don't? Why aren't they doing that? That's really stupid. Why aren't they just doing the thing you said to win the match every time? So after we get that confusement, we randomly get Jimmy Hart kind of getting involved, but not really, and Six just chasing him to the back. Excuse me, X Pac. We're not calling we'll him call Six him here. <laughs> he just refused. Fucking hate that name. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it's a pretty bad name but six or x-pac if you want chases jimmy to the back it's a bit of a throwaway segment this doesn't need to happen it adds a kind of extra there of shenanigans that doesn't need to be there but it, it doesn't harm the match either nash comes into the ring fresh big boot to barbarian men comes flying across the ring with a big elbow drop for the save that we talked about brutal looking absolutely love it scott and Mang, they tangle they fight to the outside 
Barbarian misses with a big boot. Nash kicks him, hits the jackknife powerbomb for the win. Nice and clean. For once, the outsiders, like we get this six Jimmy back and forth, but it didn't really matter. Nick Patrick was in the match, but again, probably the least involved Nick has been since he's been doing this kind of heel spiel. And I think the outsiders uh, came out of this looking strong, mostly because at the start of the match, the faces of fear looked very strong. A good, clean win over a solid tag team for the outsiders. Yeah, uh, I, I did like I did enjoy the match. It was a very hard hitting match as yeah. as we've seen. So I've I've definitely enjoyed the encounters with uh, these two teams. You know, we don't need a a dramatic story between these two teams. So I never really cared about that. I wish the outsiders, I guess, were utilized a little bit more. And of course, I wish the faces weren't booked like idiots. Other than that, enjoyed the match a lot. I I do like their chemistry a lot. I like that for once. Nash can't just act like the big guy. So Nash yeah. gets a, a few he moments of matches. He gets a sidewalk slam at one point. Yeah. Yeah, so Nash acts like the big guy and then all of a sudden gets taken off his feet. And I think that's cool to see arrogant Nash taken down a peg, but then still be effective and hit the jackknife powerbomb at the end. So I think that's nice storytelling. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think it's a solid match. It's it's undone by how poorly the faces look. But I, I guess when you guys were talking about it, I kind of forget that sometimes like the Dungeon of Doom are, are out and out heels and the NBO are the cool heels. So they kind of yeah. are the de facto faces in that match, even if they're not yes. necessarily faces. So, but I like I enjoyed it. It was much better than say Benoit and Jarrett's match, which has just happened. So, and it definitely benefits from much better crowd reaction and interaction. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So after this match, we go into an interview with the Hogan and the NWO, part of the NWO anyway. Uh, we have Ted, Vince, and Elizabeth in the background. I have no idea why Vince is employed by the company. Does he do anything on the Nitros? Am I missing something? Nope. No, he's just nope. he's just getting a page. He's just there. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're seeing what he does. Yep. He gets paid for doing less than nothing. Now, you can argue Elizabeth doesn't do much, but she was just involved in the storyline a month ago. Oh, here, like, so. the reasoning that she's there makes sense. Like, she's signed that contract and... They're kind of basically taking advantage of that. Yeah, they're 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 putting her out there. They're like, we corrupted this innocent person to be in the NWO, brother. Who's that guy? Well, he's Vincent, and he's around because he's named after someone we dislike. They're calling back to the fact that Ted was the million dollar man, and and he was his slave, for lack of a better term. Yeah, Vincent is a very awkward historical character. I mean, that that's all it's basing on. If you don't know that, yeah. you're lost, though. And it's also. Both his names were ribs. Which is ridiculous. Like, he made a book. I, I bet he doesn't care. I bet he doesn't give two shits. But it is really weird. Oh, man, though. This promo, though. This is another one that... It's miles better than Piper's. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would say like a mile, not miles. <laughs> I was going to say, at least there's a little bit of coherency there. You get where he's... He doesn't get there well, but you get where he's going. He has a character. He's a cocky heel. What is... Piper's character, drunk, is drunk a character? I don't know. Kinda? Uh, yeah, I think it's fine. It's not the best Hogan promo we've got so far, though. No, no. It's like... I mean, some parts don't really make sense, though. It ain't Rowdy Rowdy Piper Day. I, I don't understand where he's trying to go with that. And then he calls Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone chumps, and he's going to do it the Hollywood way. I guess that part makes a little bit of sense, but... Well, shouldn't he be promoting those people shouldn't he be going you know my friends are yeah. like the arnies and sylvester's not chumps like you but instead he kind of just burns some bridges for himself and then he talks about piper's kids a bunch and i, I don't know a lot of this was just loads of, loads of nonsense to me i mean i, I agree that it, it was a little bit more 
sensible then what Piper was spouting, but I, don't know, I was I was kind of lost after this one too. The thing that bothers me most about this promo is that he kind of suggests that the main event is a world title match. Like I can't remember from the Nitros how much they talk about it, but this is the first real instance where you're like, on, oh, so it's for the title? Oh, okay, cool. And you're like, well, <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it isn't. <laughs> I think one of the weird things I have with it is that he changes levels. He goes from being very personal, talking about uh, to Piper's kids, to being very generic heel, generic fr- family-friendly bad guy. So either be nasty and sleazy or be the you know old-school bad guy. It, he, he seems to change levels randomly. Yeah, it doesn't. See, the continuity just doesn't seem to be there either. About like the whole uh, what happened at World War Three as well, like talking about his hip, ca- calling him a gimp. I mean, maybe as we talked about it, maybe they got a little backfire to ease back on that. Yeah, and, and may, may, maybe so. And as, as we said, that seemed a bit unsavory. But having a go at a man's kids and livelihood and legacy, but then saying generic things. I wouldn't mind if it ramped up, right? If it started generic and then went really personal and then ended personal. It just, he picks random moments to be personal or filler. It, it is what it is. It's it's C minus material, maybe. Yep, on your WrestleMania pay-per-view. Yeah, on your, well done. On, your, on your biggest show of the year. Not great. We look back at these old school wrestlers and, you know, like new wrestling is scripted in its promos a lot. And we wish these guys would be just allowed to say what they want. And they see promos like Hogan's and Piper and you go, you know what? Maybe it's an improvement. Maybe. We'll move on though. We'll move on. We're on to our sixth match of the night and we get a repeat. This match has already been on the podcast. We get Eddie Guerrero versus Diamond Dallas Page. These guys have been feuding for a while. This has actually been some continuity over the last couple pay-per-views. Any uh, new developments in that feud, Connor, on the Nitros? Well, no, because it, it's really not about the feud. It just kind of, it just seems to be a happy coincidence just because this is the finals of the U.S. title tournament. So literally the previous week, Guerrero won his match against Benoit, which is an awesome match. If you want an awesome match, that was basically a pay-per-view match on Nitro. Check out Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit, the Nitro right before this pay-per-view. When you look at the women's title and the U.S. title, this is how you do it. You build storylines with this uh, with this tournament, and then you kind of pay off all those storylines with this match because in a match the nwo helped ddp beat jarrett to get to the finals so that's kind of what we're going on storyline wise the match itself i know the first time around we were very disappointed because these are two performers we like and we expected a bit more from so we're excited to see this match because i mean the last time we saw them they only had a grand match so i guess i like it because the two guys are they're kind of evolving and there's you can see that they're progressing as wrestlers in certain different ways definitely ddp anyway because he's been given a lot more to do i guess it's just kind of cool that they're they're in the final u.s title tournament but i'm not really bothered either way who wins it's just like oh this would be cool (laughs) yeah Uh, eddie uh coming down to the ring i I don't know if you guys noticed he gets pyro but he almost seems surprised by his own pyro (laughs) (laughs) he's like oh they gave me that Cool. Yeah, I think he's just surprised of any time WCW puts him over because in the beginning too, they can't even get his finisher name right. Bobby calls Eddie's a finisher jack the Jackknife Splash. splash. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, then Tony corrects him, the Froggy Splash. <laughs> Dusty then comments, if DDP were to catch him in the Diamond Cutter off the Froggy Splash, he would be Squished Frog. <laughs> really br- Brilliant. Froggy Splash. I love Dusty. Yeah. Uh, the commentary does remind us that giant 
while he had the title in his possession, was never champion, and this was a vacant title because of that, and because of Flair's injury, of course. Commentary catching us up, that's fine. I noticed the crowd is super hot for DDP. You can see uh, spoilers from a while, from, it's not for a while, but you can see why they turn him face eventually. Like, the crowd just love him. He's one of those smug heels. They're, they also just have him winning a lot. So you can be smug and win, you know? That, that sometimes gets you over. It also helps he's involved with the main guys. Yeah, he, it does help that uh, there's hints that he might be the new member, right? That this whole storyline is is Diamond Dallas Page in the NWO. And people are excited for that. A lot more excited than some of the five members you named at the start of the cast, I would uh, guess, Connor. So the match, eh, like, again, the two, between the two guys, I expected a bit more. We did talk about DDP in his early career isn't as good as he is two or three years from now. Very hardworking guy. But you think there'd be a bit, there's just, there's no chemistry, right? I don't think there's any chemistry between these guys. That, that was my main note that I had. As I said, Guerrero was having awesome matches with Benoit. I mean, obviously, they, they have been wrestling for a while. They have awesome chemistry, but both pretty decent workers. But for some reason, they just don't work together. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I mean, I blame some of this on the commentary coming from a viewer because there's times where they just talk about the main event a bunch of times. Then there's... Dusty points out that scalping tickets is illegal for some reason, and Tony's like, oh, not my problem, and then Bobby just disappears for one point, and they have to point out that he has technical problems. Like, you should just not point that out. and Just let him come back when he comes back, yeah. <laughs> and try, try and talk about this match, instead of talking about Piper versus Hogan again. The one thing I can I can guess at, and why that they don't work very well together, is that DDP has learned to wrestle very in a very specific way, and that's outlining everything like he doesn't go into matches and not know what he's going to do it's quite well known about that and i'm assuming that because it's eddie and eddie's so good eddie probably doesn't plan anything at all what i imagine is happening and it is encouraging all those rest holds is it, it, like db he's going okay we're going to do this next and whatever and eddie's like yeah sure whatever <laughs> so i mean it's plausible that that's why they don't work well together but it is still really odd. You'd think that when they're better wrestlers that they would find some sort of common ground and they'd figure it out. Yeah, I'm wondering if they they, they change some of the matchup as they go. Because Guerrero, I think he's, he thought he was going to get more cheers and he actually got some boos, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah, it is surprising. Uh, again, Eddie's just kind of bland at this stage in his career, though. Like his character is just Yeah, passionate. but even though, as, as I, even with his Benoit matches, people were really behind him. For some reason, this crowd just was not having any of him. I don't, I don't know what it was. Maybe just because DDP was so much cooler. Yeah, I guess the, the pay-per-view crowds are just going to be more pro-NWO, right? At the moment, they think DDP is probably in the NWO because of the tournament results. The match itself, I have a few things marked out, but it's a bit, you know, unextraordinary. DDP does pile, uh, a pile driver, but lands on his knees. Have you ever seen this? It's kind of weird. It seems more dangerous, right? Well, just think of it like a tombstone is exactly that. Yeah, I guess. I, I just, I've never seen that. You've just it's... never seen it in the other way. But the, like, to be honest, I'd say landing on your knees is probably uh, safer because you're creating more of a space between their head and the mat. Possibly. So that that's a move I had marked out. I, I have Eddie Guerrero going for early fog splash. And uh, it's kind of back and forth match where he goes for an early splash. Eddie kind of accidentally kicks DDP in the head. He doesn't roll fast enough. Eddie gets a bit a uh, bit connected with that. I don't think it's dangerous, but it's just kind of a little bit funny. Um, I like the spot where Paige is on the top row. He pushes Eddie off. Eddie flips and lands on his feet, which looks hella impressive. And he just hits Paige with an uh, atomic drop when he goes for the axe handle. So I, I, think, I think that was kind of sweet. Anything early in the match, as I said, kind of a to and fro match. No one really getting ahead. 
couple interesting spots, but anything you guys have noted? I don't really have mm-hmm. anything. What really ruined it for me was like, they do the abdominal stretch forever. You know, DDP like does the leverage thing and the ref doesn't see it. We do that. But then after like a few transition moves, we go through that whole song and dance again for the second time and the crowds start booing. And at this point, I'm like, what's going on with this match? There's two wrestlers that do that, but they do it for all their matches. And it's Kevin Nash and DDP. DDP does it less in his later career. But in his early career, he tends to do it a lot. Kevin Nash does it through his entire career, and it's really frustrating. I watched a TNA match with the Outsiders the other day. <laughs> and they're still doing it. When Why? T- Why are you doing this I, to yourself? <laughs> I go, man, I just on YouTube and random stuff comes up. And they're still doing it then. And it gets really frustrating because they just pull it out like every second match nearly. They're doing it. And it's a really boring and outdated spot. Like what you've just described to me, Dave, is like, oh, I'm bored. What'll I do? I watch something really bad to make myself feel worse. (laughs) I usually usually watch some like walk culture lists and then like, oh, TNA was the thing. I watch like a TNA list and then it's like this random match. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that match existed. Yeah, that was as bad as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Dave, you should have just said, "Oh, I was doing it for homework for the podcast. Oh, you were doing it for you were doing it for science. Watching TNA pay per views for homework for the podcast. Yeah, man, long term booking. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that's true. We, we have to transition into something. We might as well watch all of Jeff Jarrett's career. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> might, we might be masochistic in this, but I don't know for that bad. <laughs> Man, if you want to get your heart broken a lot during like two years of wrestling, just watch TNA. Oh, we're going to give this title to this really good up and comer. Psych, Jeff Jarrett has it again. Woo! <laughs> it's fantastic. All right, well, let's uh, let's get to a less uh, <laughs> yes. depressing uh, federation here, or I guess, yeah, it's a relative. Yeah. But... <laughs> again, DDP, none of these moves are terrible, but he's going through a lot of the motions we've seen already. He does a very sweet tilt or whirl powerbomb again, but yeah. we saw that before. We've seen that twice before in his matches. Again, none of, I can never point at any of it and say it's bad, but it's getting a little bit samey out of DDP. Well, that's his character. I I think you, you should just get used to it because, like I said, he plans out all his matches. So he just knows his spots and he knows how to work around other people. And that's all he'll do. He he is very limited. Like Yeah, if I remember correctly, he kind of really evolves particularly in 1997 when he has his feud with uh, Randy Savage. Spoiler Randy Savage does come back, but I know they have a a feud and I've heard some of their matches are are really good. And do you know why they're really good? Because Randy does exactly the same thing. Randy Randy plans out his matches. (laughs) He actually gets mad at people who don't. Apparently the DDP thing, he's like, come on guys, plan the matches. And they're like, no, go away. We're just going to do this. If Randy's like, plan a match, like, oh yes, yes sir, okay, yes. But just going in as in general, I, I know he has better matches with other workers that aren't great. Oh, yeah. DDP definitely improves. Right now, he definitely is a little bit limited, yeah. So we'll, we'll run through the ending of the match because I don't think there's much more we can say. NWO comes in. They distract the ref and Hall hits a razor's edge. And it's a pretty fantastic looking razor's edge on DDP. And the excuse given is, you know, he didn't want to join us, essentially. You know, you don't join us, you're against us. At, we've said this at the start of the night or recap. That is now their bread and butter. Eddie gets the, the win off a of frog splash because of it. And after the match, the NWO beat down Eddie as well. What, what do you guys think of the ending? I, yeah, it's fine. I, had to, I, I just kind of lose the run of that match and it just kind of lists. So It keeps DDP strong, I think, because they booked him pretty strong so far. This is his first loss, I think, since we've started covering it. But it still keeps him engaged in the storyline and... You know, he, he wouldn't have lost if it wasn't because of it. How about you, Connor? Thoughts on the match and the ending? 
the match slow very quiet in the beginning i thought the ending was i I actually enjoyed it i mean obviously the chemistry is not there but i thought it also worked for guerrero as well because even though he kind of won by kind of uh, screwy finish they gave guerrero a little time he kind of fights off the nwo until like they kind of get to him with the numbers game so i thought it was okay my my, my favorite moment was though when hall and xbox they kind of jog to the ring and nash he just like slowly strolls to the (laughs) ring yeah no I'm i'm not doing my finisher scott can do all the work so they take the u.s title again so not giant this time the rest of the nwo have the title without you know owning it and brain makes a point that's way too clever for wrestling where you know eddie is still champ the nwo have the championship but eddie is still champ and that ruins about a million storylines over the decades because so often the storyline is the heel takes the championship right and the face clothes to confront them or the other way around but a belt doesn't make you the belt around your waist doesn't make you champion your results do so way, way to pick at wrestling logic again bro. yeah i still enjoyed this whole build-up of this tournament I, I do love tournaments and i thought this was actually done well again compared to what the the women's championship was like i really recommend watching the nitros because there's two just brilliant matches between Guerrero and Benoit. One obviously not being in the tournament, one of, one of them being in it. But all, all the tournament matches were really enjoyable. And it, yeah, it's just unfortunate that this kind of the finals was slightly a dud. And I'm just wondering maybe DDP doesn't have the conditioning either. Yeah, that that's the thing. It's hard to portray because none of these individual things we've talked about are bad. But there's just something off about watching them wrestle which I've never experienced with either person. I've heard DDP being called boring. I've heard Eddie being called lazy before. I've never seen them so wooden with another wrestler, I guess is the way to say it. But here here it is and pretty disappointing. Okay, so next match we're on to is the seventh match of the night. We get Lex Luger versus Giant. And there's not much build up. These guys have been in the ring before. The commentators play up on that. It's kind of a an Andre versus Hogan kind of. Luger versus Giant. Can Luger lift him? And that's the big question and the big kind of, you know, framing of this match. I, I guess kind of classic. I would like to say David versus Goliath, but it's more Goliath versus Goliath. I guess. What, what, what do you guys think of this angle coming into this match? And it's just kind of like a leftover. We need a WCW versus NWO kind of yeah. match. And we need to further the Sting storyline, which we'll get into. And this was just kind of a vehicle for that. There's really nothing much else. Yeah, it. they don't really seem to have much else to do with the two guys. And they're just kind of, oh, well, you're leftover, so you can wrestle each other again. Yep. So it's a pretty typical, you know, I, I call them body slam matches. It's a pretty typical kind of body slam matches. One thing I want to note it, uh, Giant coming to the ring here. Does he look really tired to you guys? His face is a bit flushed. He has rings under his eyes. Did you notice this? I always took it just as his, he's being serious, I guess. It, it honestly, to me, it looks like he was up the night before. I, I get those kind of panda eyes when I'm up the night before on my stream. So <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. Maybe I was uh, looking a bit too deep into it. But he looked a bit worn out. Besides that, this match starts off kind of really typical power matchup. We get a pushing contest at the start where it makes Luger look good, but then all of a sudden Giant is the bigger guy. He just throws him across the ring. And Giant just does some wearing down of Luger's back. And again, we're, can Luger ever lock in the rack on someone as big as Giant? And Giant is making sure he can't. Kind of typical storyline. Anything of note in the early match for you, Connor? Anything you wanted to point out? Spots or kind of ke- uh, any of the chemistry between the guys? Uh, not too much. The Luger fails the body slam attempt. 
and Giant refuses to pin, which was kind of cool. And yeah, I, I like that. He says no, no, no to the referee yeah. who tries to pin him as well. He's like, no, 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 not yet. Which is nice because it, 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 we talked about it earlier. Nice recovery from a mistake, right? Make it look real. Yeah. And uh, Luger tries to, he gets Giant trapped on the top turnbuckle. So that's like a, a callback to World War Three. Although he just kind of proceeds to kick him off, which was, I thought, a little weird. Yeah, the commentators missed their mark there because the commentators, I, I think, are nearly sure he's going to go for his finish. So the commentators like, oh, he's got him. He's going to rock him now. Oh, wait, no. Okay, he just kicked him. Uh, what, what about you, Gus? Any thoughts on this match? It, it's a little bland and a little typical. Yeah, I, like it's it's a very basic power match. I've seen it plenty of times before. I didn't really get much from it. Like, despite my enjoyment of watching big white dudes beat each other up, this is just very plodding. Particularly, I don't. I really don't like Luger for whatever reason. He just doesn't. I don't know. He. I. I don't find him entertaining, and it just doesn't come across very well. I guess Giant does seem to be a bit sluggish in this because I normally do like his matches more. Yeah, it's not doing it for me this one. I think what jumps out to me when you bring up kind of his fatigue, he tries an awful drop kick attempt. It looks mm. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I remember that spot now, and it, it comes off pretty bad. And he's usually pretty good at them as well. So maybe he is just fatigued coming into this match. Certainly, I, I just dismissed it as a slow-paced match, but that could just definitely be what happened. Uh, after a comeback from Luger and a nice neck breaker, Giant breaks up a pin by just throwing Luger onto the ref. It's an impressive enough throw, I'll say that. And of course, shenanigans ensue. Nick Patrick comes into the ring to replace the knocked out ref, but kicks Luger as he tries to get the rack up, which I kind of winced at. Like, he kind of knocks the back of his leg. But I'm like, uh, Giant isn't a light guy. If his leg buckles, that could be an injury. But, yeah, like, if he goes down wrong in his knee. But I'm sure it was all worked out. So Six gets involved again. The rack is attempted again after Nick Patrick shenanigans. Again, it's broken up by Six. But then Sting comes down. So this is, like, the Sting vehicle. I guess that's the point of this match. And he chases off Patrick. And then he whispers to both men in very sensual ways, which was kind of weird. Uh, it's supposed to be mysterious, but he, he whispers up both men. And then uh, he leaves his bat in kind of the middle of the ring. Luger picks up the bat that Sting left. And it just beats him with the bat and pins, uh, gives the NWO their first pay-per-view loss. Is what I've yeah, noted here. Yeah. That's true, yeah. right? That's the it's first. Pretty much the first time they've gone over, and crowd is going uh, mental throughout this. Yeah. I, I thought a few, you know, as I said, I mistaked there. I forgot that Luger didn't actually win with Dirac. I thought they would have because it's it's the body slam match, right? It's the Hogan Andre match. I guess it's hard to get a knocked out giant off the floor up onto the rack, so I understand the logistics. Crowd loves Sting. They're really interested in seeing what he does. This leaves a bit of mystery behind in his story, though the whispering was odd to say the least. And the crowd obviously sick of NWO's shenanigans because they uh, they pop. I'm pretty the- sure. I'm pretty sure. I want to say that Sting is also moonlighting as Chuck Palahniuk, so he was actually telling them the rules of Fight Club uh, before he dropped the bat in the middle of the ring. <laughs> uh, Connor, any thoughts on this? Uh, on the ending of this match, seemed kind of fine. I loved it. I mean, the match on the whole was nothing special, and there's no buildup, and the ending was so overbooked, but for some reason, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I don't know what it was. Just so much stuff happening at the same time, and... Spectacle. Spectacle, and yeah, I think we've just been waiting for something to happen to the NWO, and of course, it's giant that gets on the other end of it, which is it kind of pisses me off. Yeah, him taking the pain is a bit... And obviously, the commentators put it over great... I mean, Tony Schiavone, he's going nuts. 
they put over this moment really well and they make it to be a big deal. I think the atmosphere is great for this match. And the crowd are in it and the commentators are in it and decently on point. I have no comical remarks by the commentators written down or anything. And you're right, they go ballistic. They treat it like a big deal. And it's just a shame that Giant has to take the pin. Uh, there's so many terrible members of the NWO you could have take a pin here. Nobody else matters. Yeah, I guess I was about to say, there's no way they're having Nash and Hall take a pin. Well, there's no way that they're having Hogan be the first NWO loss. I guess it has to be Giant is the only pe- only other person the crowd cares about, right? And it's a, it's a setup for a storyline coming up next. And yeah. the commentators, they point out, oh, the rest of the NWO didn't come out to help Giants. They plant those seeds of dissension early. They, they, they run with it. I, I, th- I think we'll talk about it more at the end of the next match, but I think it's a decent storyline as well. So it's not the worst result for the Giants. But ah, I can see why he has complaints about his career in WCW. And it's oh, yeah, for sure. Like, it sucks that it's him. I mean, we already went over this in the previous podcasts, how they definitely used him badly, and he's made much lesser than he was previous to the NWO storyline. So we'll see where it goes from here. I agree with Connor. I like the ending of it is so absurd. But it has all the like important people because Sting shows up and everybody goes fucking mental for Sting because they're like, oh, what's he going to do? Like, who's he going to side with? Who's he going to do this or that? And you don't get your answer, but you get something else to add to the add to the plot line and see where it's going to go next. Yeah, it's a decent Sting vehicle, I think. Especially because actually going from the last match to these guys just don't have great chemistry for whatever reason. They had a, a main event at Great American Bash, and that match really yeah. was a dud as well. I, I don't know. These guys just can't really work together. I mean, we haven't really seen an awesome giant match. He's still sort of limited, and he's very young still. So, And Luger, obviously, we've seen some great things from Luger in the past couple of months. So, yeah, it just didn't work out. And luckily, the, the ending was so batshit crazy that it saved it. Yeah. Uh, so are you guys ready to talk about the main event of the evening? I mean, I've been waiting for the whole century for this, or the decade. I, I don't know. It's been my I, whole I, life. Uh, every Nitro, it's the match of the century, match of the day, every single moment of Nitro. This is what they're building to. So I'll give them fair credit to WCW. They hyped the shit out of this match. They definitely got eyes on this pay-per-view because they, they did do a massive buy for yeah. this pay-per-view. Yeah, they, they signed a very expensive, massive name for this as well. They planned this very far, well, very far ahead, <laughs> a couple months ahead. But they, they had this matchup bookmarked with the signing of Piper. Going to be interesting. It's always interesting to see if Piper can still go. It's the same as every time you watch a Macho Man match of this era. You're like, is this when he starts to lose it? Does he still have it? The questions are answered pretty fast in this one. We get Michael Buffer out for the intros again. Always nice to see Michael on the cast still getting employed by wcw to only do one thing a night it's kind of weird i thought this was actually one of his better intros it was a great intro i'm just it's always baffling that he only has to do one like this is starcade have him do them all i don't get i don't get it i don't get it and and even like just a suggestion looking back to maybe they just only bring him out just for starcades too that that would have been a cool touch but yeah stuff like that Uh, he calls it the feature match not the main event i don't know if he misspeaks or they're trying to re you know they want to show that there's more than one main event because i know Modern wrestling, a lot of them call them co-main events now. Uh, Hogan out with uh, not that much of the NWO. Vincent, Ted, and Elizabeth, probably the least intimidating members of the NWO. And that list in order goes Elizabeth, Ted, Vincent, in intimidation <laughs> order, if you're wrestling. 
<laughs> hey, don't don't bottom out Ted. Ted's an actual wrestler. Yeah, but he he never gets involved. He like shouts sometimes, but he's never like yeah, getting in the ring. At least he has like a legitimate wrestling background to fall on. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, well, I guess what's more interesting to point out with this is there's no Bischoff for some reason. And Bischoff is he has been the main person on the nitros and the, the whole buildup with him, his turn as well was kind of involved with this feud with the contract signing too. So puzzling why Bischoff is not out there instead of saying he's not present. Yeah. He's just not in the pay-per-view at all either. It's not like he's there for their interviews. Yep. Because a, a week before Bischoff is dressed as Piper that you see that on the opening package. That's what it is when he's kind of like punching the air. Bischoff is Piper. I'm going to beat him up. And then Piper comes out as a, as a surprise. It's, Piper kind of, he adds to the fact that he's going to do this by himself and why he doesn't want other people's help as well. Other than that, there's really nothing else to add. There's like cool moments that they had, but nothing that like changes any dynamic of the storyline. It's still icon versus icon. Hogan never beating Piper is still kind of a storyline into it, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, it, it never felt like there's more depth to it. Like the, the depth to it was, oh, you didn't know Piper had a hip surgery. Right. Okay. Yep. Like there was no, there was no underlying motives. There was no change in the kind of dynamics. It was just, yeah, we're gonna fight. Did you know that Piper's kind of old now? But Hulk, aren't you all also old? Yeah. Like it, it's just Piper trying to go. Look, you say you're the big man, but you never beat me. Let's fight. If you scratch the surface of that, doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Why are you coming all the way to a different company just to fight a guy that never beat you? Surely he should be pursuing you, right? Um. But surely that that should, the chase should be the other way around. You're like, I've never beaten you. I'm here to prove a point, not the other way. I guess it's because it's coming from a he's the heel kind of thing. So he yeah. wouldn't care. And it's Piper showing up going, you're trying to tell everybody you're the best, but you've never beaten me. So how can you be the best if you've never beaten yeah. me? And trying to goad him into having the fight, which is what happens. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess it could be a bit of, uh, you know, you're being so... You're gloating so much. How can you gloat when you don't even have a win over me, kind yeah. of? But yeah, I, I agree. It never really develops from anything I've seen. No, it, it, Just, it doesn't go any further than that. They, they don't add anything. Right. No. The match itself is, I think, one of maybe the better Hogan matches we've seen, but typical start. Hogan out to the floor, making the crowd wait for the action, getting some cheap shots in, and when... Piper, you know, gets hyped up and starts to get a, a comeback. Hogan bails again. There's a nice bit of storytelling with that is Piper doesn't lose his cool. The whole thing is Piper's a hothead. And if you go chase Hogan, you're going to get done by the NWO. There's no way you can beat the numbers game. Piper stays in the ring and waits for him multiple times. So there's a move in the early exchanges that I have marked out. Hogan has taken to wearing gloves in matches. And at the best of times, I hate his scratch move. You know, scratch your back scratch your front and stuff like that it doesn't make sense to me you're punching each other why does that hurt more than a punch it doesn't but now he has gloves on and they're not fingers <laughs> no he has yeah. some of them cut out i, I, I wrote this down he has one yeah. of them he has like the index finger or one other done but like so he's scratching people with one or two nails yeah, yeah, those are like his his uh, nails yeah. that he leaves uncut. <laughs> and, like, haven't you heard of leather burn? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hogan clearly listened to my comment on that on our Hog Wild episode. So, 
You must have listened to me and it's like, oh, I, I got to cut out a few, a few fingers few. just to make Connor happy. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And the worst is, you know, he's a heel, so I get it a bit. He used to do that as a face all the time. Oh, that's just part of his character. Yeah. yeah. That's just him. Yeah. Uh, we, we find out it's kind of no DQ. So eventually Piper, you know, he gets the crowd behind him. He gets the upper hand and he gets his belt and starts whipping Hogan. So I'm like, is it no DQ? But then the commentary say that it's a normal match, but the referee knows it's too important to DQ him over something small like that. Then he chokes Hogan with the belt. And the the referee's like, I'll allow it. (laughs) My favorite line from Tony that is just universal. You can say it at any time. Oh, that's just good officiating. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's letting them go. Like, he's letting them do it. Yeah, yeah. So bad. So I, I think this early exchange is fine, and it's fine storytelling. And Hogan targets the hip a bit. I kind of like the early exchanges, but it gets really sloppy, and you can tell both men get really tired after this. What do you guys think of the early exchanges? They're they're knackered when they start the match, Dave. They they are yeah yeah. <laughs> they're not fit to do this match at all, and they get like three minutes in, and you're like, oh my god, please end this. Somebody might have a heart attack with the way this is going. Yeah. Yeah, I know this Piper was visibly wet. I don't know if that was, you know, like Triple H. He puts like a full 20 water bottles on himself before he wrestles. <laughs> I don't know if it was something like that or if he was just sweating. No, I think that's just sweat, yeah. I looked it up. Like, I think I think Piper's only had one match other than this this year up until yeah. this point. So, like, there's no there's no reason for him to be in shape. Like, so th- there's tons of stalling in the in the early part of the match. Like, they do lots of walking around not really interacting there's like rakes in the back and pokes in the eye and all this kind of like oh there's so many pokes in the <laughs> eye by both of them who's the yeah, yeah, but, both of them but the thing is like fair enough like they're, they're not doing much but the crowd loves it anyway crowd is hot in the like, beginning the crowd is yeah. all over this shit so at the same time you're like why bother doing more stuff you're not gonna get anything else from the crowd so if they're gonna be this big into it with this just keep doing the small shit take care of your body doesn't matter if you look like old men wrestling because everybody everybody loves it anyway i i think the crowd does start to turn beyond this point so i i think it is good storytelling at the start i think i think it is hogan's a coward but piper's in control of his emotions he doesn't let an outburst happen until the right moment and then he really gets hogan then when hogan doesn't think he can win he starts targeting the hip there's a good commentary moment where the commentary tell us that it's the same operation Bo Jackson got. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that pretty much ended a lot of Bo Jackson's career. So look It how- did. Yeah, it did. And Bo Jackson was kind of like this mythical guy. Yeah, yeah. He was he was so fast. But once he had that surgery, he just wasn't yeah. the same. Really brought a new dynamic to the match. And f- finally, they brought up the hip it again. Makes, it makes Piper look tough. So all this hip stuff has made Hyper look, Piper look uh, weak. But all of a sudden, this commentary, you're like, well, if one of the best athletes of all time was put out by this... And Piper's still on his feet. That's amazing. Yep. So I think that was yeah. great. But I think beyond that point, once Hogan start targeting the hip, they start tired, but they both get punched drunk off their feet tired. And the crowd smells it a bit. And the reaction is not terrible, but it goes down because the final stretch is really sloppy. Well, before before we get to that, like, can, I don't know if you want to go directly to the interference before the final stretch. Because that it is the funniest interference run-in. I think I'll ever see in a main event of a (laughs) pay-per-view. Poor WCW. (laughs) Like he full on, full on is just staring at the giant as he wanders in. And he's like, oh, I'm not really supposed to see you doing this. 
So he turns turns around and then just to completely ruin it all, there's just some god awful fan decides to try and jump the ring. And we get the lovely image of um Randy Anderson like beats the hell out of that guy. Like he gets full on super angry and like Hogan does his little bit to to make sure the guy doesn't get in the ring or whatever, but Randy Anderson is all over that shit. Yeah, you can see Ted sprint over to the other side of the Uh, ring to just try and stop him. He put so many kicks into that fan's ribs. He put so many kicks in. Hogan just, like, pushing him. Get out, get out. What are you doing? The ref. And meanwhile, Giant's just holding Piper. (laughs) Yeah, just waiting. Giant saves this because it's a bad segment. Obviously, someone misses their cue and the referee sees Giant. But Giant has to hold Piper in the air for a minute, maybe? It has to be close to a minute. Just holding a fully grown man up at the the top of a choke slam. Piper starts to not like it. You can see Piper's uncomfortable and starts to wriggle a little bit. But he, he holds him that entire time until the fan is pushed out. Hogan can walk over and that lets Rowdy do, you know, kick Hogan, kick Giant, get out of the move kind of segment. But uh, Piper also bites Giant to get free. K- kudos to Giant for this, I think. Just an unfortunate timing. <laughs> Also the best timing, I think. Yep. Did you guys know this happened? I actually didn't know. I mean, I'm sure I've, saw I it, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it on Botchamania before, but I when it came out, I was like, oh, I did not I did not know this was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, I'd, for, I'd forgotten. And I'd forgotten particularly like, oh, this is the main event of a paper, of their biggest pay-per-view. And in true WCW, like, they didn't try to cut away from it. It's hard. They, they have to acknowledge yeah. it. So, but there's tons know. of times that this has happened on WWE pay-per-view. And they always cut away. They always go somewhere else. They cut to the crowd. And they just like ignore it. And hope it gets done as quickly as possible. And then cut to another shot. Whereas this is just... Yeah, you can just see the ref beating the shit out of, of a, a random fan. I, I will defend him a little bit. It's tough because you're in the middle of your go-home spot, right? Like you're in the middle. Oh, for sure, yeah. It, yeah. It, it is bad by them. They should definitely have a close-up of Giant or something. Instead of the fan. But <laughs> the timing is so terrible for them. It could happen at any point in this match and it would be fine. Also, Giant, obviously, we, we talked about Liger earlier being able to play through mistakes. If Giant puts him down for a second and tries to go for a choke slam again, or if Piper thinks to bite him straight away and maybe just throw him out of the ring yeah. and then get Hogan, but no, no one knows what to do. They're like, uh, I guess I'll hold you here. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's the fact that Giant doesn't have any sort of reaction. Like, he's not emotional about what he's doing. Like, if he even taunts people, yeah. it looks ten times better. If he yeah. shouts at Rowdy for a while in the air, he's like, "You're gonna, I'm going to get you. This is going to be the biggest joke slam ever. No, just, I guess I'll keep him up here. It hurts the longer he's up here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so from that, we get kick to Hogan, bite to Giant, falls down, Giant gets out of the ring. And we get uh, a sleeper for the win. I did not think this was going to happen. I thought it was going to be some kind of shenanigans. But Hogan chooses to pass out instead of get pinned or tapped. Well, that's like um, Piper's finisher was a sleeper. Oh, so. Yeah, no, it, it is his finish, but I didn't know Hogan would choose to pass out as his way to lose. The well, that's, that's the tough guy way of going out. Yeah, I, I guess this way he doesn't have to get pinned or tapped. Also, it's probably the biggest pop you'll ever hear for a sleeper. Yes. Ever. I mean, there wasn't really a pop just because the fan was still getting, being taken away. So the crowd was kind of distracted by that <laughs> and... I mean, maybe it's just because it's mid-90s wrestling and just like, uh, Sleeper's your finisher? Or, I, I don't know what it was, but the, the the reaction was very lukewarm. The initial, when he applied it, obviously when, when Hogan's arm doesn't go up after the three count, people went ballistic yeah. after that. But Oh, that's what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah initially, they, they were just like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
for sure. We're gonna, we're gonna look at this idiot. It, it, it's also a hard move to get behind because you don't know when it's gonna end. Because you always expect them to put their hand up after three, so it's always a surprise when they don't. I hate. It. I wish they would just say people were knocked out. I hate the, the hand thing. I used to like it when I was a kid, but there's a couple modern wrestlers that have sleeper-esque moves as finishers, and they do the hand thing once, and the second it's down, like, he's knocked out. Now that MMA is a thing, you know we can't just choke people out for two minutes. That's not how, that's not what should, that's really dangerous. When someone goes unconscious, you should just go get the bell. No one's waking up halfway through a sleeper hold. That's not how the human body works. Yeah, that's that's just an archaic wrestling yeah. carny thing, just not being updated. very apparent for updated yeah. for modern times. Yeah. yeah. Now again, we're looking back then, and maybe back then it still played. You know, MMA was only big, oh, yeah. only starting to get big in the states. It was bigger in Japan and places like that. So I'm being a little bit too critical, but it, it's hard to pop. It's hard for to, to know as a fan when I'm like, oh, he's yeah, no, he's won. That was the third time. Yeah, but no, like that's always been a terrible move. So like, yes. I don't blame them for not wanting to pop. I'm just acknowledging that it's the biggest pop you'll ever see for a sleep. Yes, it's yeah. such a terrible move. 100% <laughs> agree. Piper also then gets to fight off the outsiders at a snail's pace and then just walk, casually strolls out of the ring. But Piper is wrecked after this segment and he's not doing it to be arrogant like I can take on the whole NWO. He just can't do it any faster. So we get our first Hulk Hogan loss. Woo! We got our first NWO loss on the same night to end the year. We get another NWO loss. WCW doesn't stand tall, but the NWO don't stand tall. Except they kind of do. And this is where the pay-per-view gets really cloudy. Because it would be a real nice image to see Rowdy and his family is the last thing you see on that pay-per-view. That brings the storyline kind of full circle. It makes you feel good. You know, I believe very much WrestleMania, Starcade, events like this, 90% of the time should be won by faces. That your story, you know, your hero's journey should end with the face winning the majority of the time. But the NWO kind of steals the light again. Do, do you want to go through this a bit, Fergus? What happens, kind of the end amble? Um, so basically, uh, Roddy just disappears, essentially. There's two things that I wanted to point out. Giant, essentially, is bombarded by the entire NWO. And they're blaming him for it. They're like, this is your fault. Hogan lost because you fucked up. He's like, no, like none of you guys came out to help me when it was my match. So yeah, where were you? What were you doing? Like, what's going on? Yeah, so this is what actually finishes the pay-per-view. That's what goes off. You just see people in disarray and the commentators talking about that. But my favorite line, which happens a little bit before that, is by Dusty. Who else would bring up this kind of line? Because uh, I'm pretty sure Bobby would do it in a better way. And Dusty references that, uh, well, Piper's the champion now, right? <laughs> and then there is nothing. <laughs> Nobody responds to him. Nobody mentions that. I think they just didn't tell him or something. And then they just move on to back onto the NWO and focusing on them again. We kind of get the answer from the (laughs) NWO because the worst possible scene to end this pay-per-view on is Hogan grabs his belt, storms down to the ring after arguing with the giant and giant is like left at the top of the ramp to stew. And he starts pointing at his belt in the ring with the rest of the NWO shouting, it doesn't matter. I still have the belt. So the end of the pay-per-view is not Rowdy celebrating. It's not Rowdy getting a title. It's not Rowdy just embracing his family and saying, we did it. You know, Hogan, you know, to show Hogan insulted you guys, but we're a family and we won. No, it's Hogan getting his heat back immediately at the end of the pay-per-view. It's, it's bizarre. 
it makes no sense. You could just do this on Nitro. You could have him come out on Nitro with the belt, which for some reason wasn't up for grabs. The commentators didn't even notice. And say, this is my belt. The match didn't matter because I still have the belt. You don't ruin the end of the pay-per-view. You don't have your biggest pay-per-view of the year ending with a loser in the ring celebrating that he lost. That's bizarre. I've never seen that before. Well, Connor, can you make any sense of it? The sense is that this is typical Hogan. I mean, he does this every time. So mm. to make sense of this whole match not being for the title, I, I can't give you, I, I don't know. When you spoiled this ending for me a couple months ago before we record this podcast, I just assumed that, oh, it was going to be a storyline thing that the NWO, they tricked Piper into some technicality in his contract that they, you know, that they signed, you know, that whole deal with the contract. So I thought there was something with that. And no, there's just, there's nothing. And you said this could have happened on Nitro. It does happen on Nitro. He comes out again and, and does the same thing. <laughs> have you watched some of the Nitros ahead of this, uh, Connor? One one or two. Because from what I can remember from reading the rise and fall of WCW, because I don't remember this explicitly, but I think eventually it comes out that Piper just made the contract this way. There's no trickery. There's no shenanigans. He's just like, yeah, I didn't even want to. I didn't even want the title. Yeah, they, they make it into a storyline. I think it's the February pay per view where they have their rematch. Oh, um, so I can only guess who wins that match. Um. Yeah, can't wait, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, th- there is like a there is a whole storyline. I think he goes to Alcatraz or something like that. I, I can't remember. It's a very infamous uh, storyline, so we'll get into that. But yeah, as, as far as this. As a fan, I can only imagine if I pay for this pay-per-view, yeah. I'd be fucking pissed yeah. off. I, I just felt deceived. Yeah, It's like the whole pop is fake, and the crowds kind of sound like that at the end, right? They're a bit like, yeah. uh, why is Hogan still have the title? You can feel the air leaving. Of, and we noted how excited the crowd were about the win. And you can feel the air leaving the arena. And they have like they have fireworks going off when yeah. Piper wins, too. It's... It's a big moment. And yeah. as I said, I'm a big fan of your biggest show of the year having a face winning. I don't have a problem with a heel winning, but I think 90% of the time it should be a face. But certainly if the face wins, you should be fading out on the face celebrating. That should be your moment. Yep. That should be your montage moment in the future. When we flash back from Starcade five years from now, one of the montage moments should be Rowdy in the ring with his family, right? After chasing off the despicable NWO when they're giving out to Giant. Nah, Hogan needs his moment. I think Hogan's career probably didn't have enough moments. He probably needed this moment in the ring, right? <laughs> hey, he, he got to spit on the camera again. That's he, really He important. loves spitting on the camera so much. It's his favorite thing. It looks like we're just going to have to get used to WCW at this point. We have to get used to the constant run-ins, interference, and bullshit main storyline yeah. finishes, yeah. too. I was I was really let down from this ending. Me, me too. And you can tell by our demeanors here. And this is the exact same demeanor, I think, as most of the fans in the crowd. It's just, wow, that was almost a decent WCW pay-per-view. <laughs> the, I think the thing that gets me most mad is that match isn't good. But it's made decent by its result. It's storytelling. Yep. Hogan standing triumphant in the ring at the end is terrible storytelling. Yep. yep. And they could have had the whole giant continuation on the Nitro after, which they do. You know, we're going to see a small face turn from the giant of course this is the beginning of many face and heel turns from paul white's career so <laughs> it, it it has already begun yeah <laughs> uh i think we better get away from this this main event is sapping our energy <laughs> you can feel it in the cast we're, go- we're gonna move on move on and i'm gonna ask you guys after this pay-per-view whose side are you on Gus, whose side are you on after this pay-per-view 
Japan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get <laughs> they're the only guys who come out of it looking strong anyway. Yeah, I think this pay-per-view does a really poor job of continuing anybody's careers other than those in the NWOs. I guess Sting's. I guess Sting comes out of it okay. The enemy of it is so bad and it, it ruins a lot of things that's been going on. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Japan. They're cool. They get to do have cool matches and they come out the best. We don't have to see them again, so they're probably doing great. Well, we'll, we'll see Dragon, okay, so that's, that's fine. Uh, but Connor, who side are you after the pay-per-view? Oh, man, if I had known Japan was an option, I, I might have picked Japan. <laughs> um, I, on my notes, I, I, I am back on the side of WCW. I just can't be on the side with Bagwell, Wall Street, and Big Bubba. I, I don't know what it is. And Scott Norton. <laughs> yeah. Scott Norton's actually okay. I can get behind yeah. him. He's, he's kind of cool, but Wall Street, Big Bubba, they've gone too far with, with this. It's just unfortunate with the bullshit ending because I thought this was almost one of the best shows on the podcast so far. It still might be. I'm not sure. Uh, match of the night, though, I go with Malenko and Dragon. I just love that match. Can- Cruiserweight yeah. division continues to impress me. Agreed. Still enjoyed the show throughout. Breath of fresh air coming off of World War Three because that was oh, that was that was pretty <laughs> bad. And it just amazes me to see how far WCW has come in 1996. As as we'll kind of get into in a little bit. Yeah, well, let, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit now. This is our big show because this is Starcade and this is WCW's big show. So we are a big show. We're going to discuss how. WCW did in 1996, and Gus, what do you think of their transformation, the transformation of their product through this period? I think from the shows that we've watched, by the time we get to Starcade, there is a very clear disparity in terms of who matters and who does not. And it also shows a clear disparity between who can wrestle and who can't. So the guys who matter can't wrestle, and the guys who don't are the ones that wrestle at the start of the card. There's always a very clear cut point in the pay-per-view where you go, yep, all the cool wrestling's done. Now I have to sit through the storyline stuff, which everybody's interested in, but it's going to be really shitty wrestling. And that's WCW for me so far. I'll go even far back from just before we started the podcast too. I mean, the story angles they were showing, they were very cartoon kind of type things. And when Hogan was faced, it was, the company was really struggling at that point. And they, obviously the the big NWO was the, the big catalyst too, but uh, there were different angles that were also a, a big uh, departure from their early booking as well. So just huge dramatic change for WCW, and it obviously shows in the ratings too. They're, they're destroying WWF at this point. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, I said this about the NWA at the start. The NWA were different, right? They were all about wrestling, and they had a different product to WWF. And before we started this podcast, you're right, everything's very really cartoony. And it's the same as WWF, but worse. It just has older stars that people are done seeing. So you have these cartoony characters, these over-the-top kind of gimmicks. And why would you watch WCW when WWF is doing it slightly better and has always kind of done it like that? And all of a sudden we get a shot of quote-unquote realism. We get this kind of grungy, kind of different stable that we haven't seen for a long time or maybe ever on American soil. And people are all of a sudden interested in... You're right, the wrestling isn't great, and some of the angles are nonsensical in a really short term. But people don't care because they finally get to see something different. Like, we see the cool anti-authority kind of bad guys, the kind of anti-system bad guys. And that's interesting people because no one else in America is offering that at the moment. And the Cruiserweight division, too. And all the, all the yeah. diverse stars they've had in that division, too. And as, as much as we give them... We, we give them a, a bit of a ribbing for not having the correct people on at the correct stages of the card. All the good matches at first and all the storyline matches second. 
the Cruiserweights got more time than I thought. Like, Gray has had some real good matches that have gone 15 minutes plus. The Milanko match on this card, which I agree with you guys, is the best match on the card, got 18 minutes as far as I can see here. The way people talk about this in current WWF and WWE documentaries is, oh, they had the Cruiserweights, but it's almost by accident. And those guys weren't very well treated. That's not entirely true. I think they saw what they had a little bit, maybe not completely. And they, they gave them time. Uh, Thunder Liger Ray got 15 minutes. Ultimo Dragon Dean got 18 and a half. That's more than the main events. Yeah, I, th- I think what we're seeing is we're seeing them put over strong in the beginning. I think it gets yeah. worse as it goes. It deteriorates. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the interviews and in Jericho's book, the, the main word that I keep hearing is cancer. Cru- the cruiserweights are cancer. They don't. All the other wrestlers want nothing to do with the cruiserweights. So when you get labeled as a cruiserweight, you get stuck in that division. I think that's where the animosity comes from. Fair, as fair. You're, We're going to see some new stars come in, so the division just kind of gets bloated and nobody kind of goes anywhere, so... They don't move anyone on to like the U.S. title scene or something. They just keep them all in the same scene. I I, I could see that. As far as far as I remember, I, I I'm not. See, this is why we're gonna go gonna go through it and see how it goes. Yeah, the point of the podcast, I guess, is to see this as it goes by and not just get one stance. Gus, what was your favorite match or angle on the podcast so far? I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid the obvious one because I'm pretty sure at least one of you is gonna pick it. I I still love this match and it's from the first pay per view. <laughs> I love the nasties against Public Enemy. (laughs) 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 And like there's definitely better technical matches and there's better stories going on and there's everything about it. But there's some amazing commentary from Dusty and it's just a fun, stupid, hardcore match that plays to the strengths of the the two tag teams. It does what they don't do a lot of in the pay-per-views later on. Like it's so different to everything else that it's a good break. It kind of flies by because... It's just a completely different style. So you don't get overworked on it. And it's it's kind of missing now. Like there isn't really a much of a difference. You have cruiserweights and then you have the main event stuff. And they all kind of gel similarly together. I, I still love that match. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to see more pole matches, but we, we really haven't. So that's later, later. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, uh, Connor? What has your favorite angle or match been so far? Well, was this match the one you're talking about, Gus? It was the Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis? Yep. Yeah, overall ring quality. I mean, it was the perfect introduction to the cruiserweight division as far as expectations coming from like diverse talents. And the commentary from Mike Tanay was just also amazing in that match. And it's also on Bash at the Beach. Yep, yeah, so yep. that helps. Best angle goes to the third man reveal, obviously. Other than that, I I did love the War Games build up with Sting turning his back on WCW. I, I still love that one. Yeah, I I had the uh, Randy Hogan debacle as my favorite angle because <laughs> yes. again, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, the match ruined it for me for that one. I, yeah, <laughs> the War Games match was at least somewhat passable. Yeah, yeah I think. I think my favorite angle at the moment is the Medusa motorcycle angle. <laughs> it is wrestling crap at its finest. It's illogical. And it's literally, what do bikers hate? Japanese bikes. What do they love? American bikes. <laughs> it's such a wrestling crap. No, I think my favorite angle, non-jokey angle, is probably the Sting progression, where I'm still I'm still interested to see how that ends. Well, unfortunately, we have to wait a whole year. Yeah. Yeah, to wrap up. Yeah, it's, it's actual good long-term booking in a company that has no semblance of long-term booking in any other category. So that's awesome. And I like Sting. I've, I enjoy some of his matches. You know, Sting McFoley is one of my favorite early wrestling rivalries. So I can't wait to see where he goes. He's not exactly past his prime yet. Gus, I wanted you to give me your 
underrated wrestler, someone you didn't know was good till you watched these pay-per-views, and your most overrated wrestler, someone with a great reputation that has not stood the test of time. So the the first one, I, I definitely didn't think that I would enjoy these guys as much as I did, and they've really come along. Particularly, I think I appreciate them more watching the Nitros because they're not on a lot of the pay-per-views. But the Faces of Fear, they're just a much, much better tag team than I expected them to be. Maybe it's because of the time that it is, but I appreciate them so much more now watching wrestling today. So maybe it's just that their their type of wrestling just didn't gel with the kind of setting it had. But they're just a really good, solid, hard-hitting power tag team. They stand out. They have a very clear gimmick. They know exactly what they're doing. They have some good tag team moves. And they're just always fun. So I really enjoyed them. Uh, I like watching tag team wrestling generally anyway. They've really held together a lot of what's been going on in that division. My other one is probably way more controversial because I don't know what it is. And even though I've just said that the best match of the night was involving him, I really think Dean is overrated after watching these pay-per-views. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what it is, but I, I think I found myself, the more I watch this stuff, I'm just kind of bored by him. They never quite get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm really invested and I really, really want to watch him. And maybe he doesn't have the right character or he's coming across too cold and I don't have a way of connecting with him. Or maybe I'm being sucked in, like I was saying with the, the high spots in that he just doesn't have enough so I'm like ah whatever he's not doing anything kind of cool but I always thought I really liked him and now watching him back again I'm like well the match that I just watched I actually really preferred Ultimo Dragon and he he's the one that I like remember going yeah I remember him doing that spot and that and then similarly when he wrestles Benoit at Hogwild I remember you guys didn't really like that match I did but the more I think about it it's more well I think it's Benoit that's driving that match and I don't think it's really Dean that's doing much for me yeah, I, I guess I just expected more from Dean. Maybe I'm also projecting on some of the later stuff and remembering that when he gets involved with Chris Jericho. So maybe it's that I'm just the wrong point of his career right now. I, I guess why I was so shocked with that answer is I, I actually really like his whole how complete his package is. His music, his promos, the way he wrestles, his nickname, like all, all that stuff. Like, I just didn't think WCW would have had all of it together with a cruiserweight That's guy. Fair, so yeah. I, I did like that. He's kind of like one of the few Americans in the cruiserweight division to kind of bridge the gap for all these like Japanese and Mexican yeah. wrestlers. So. That's very true. Okay, that's fair. I think a lot of good points there. Connor, same questions to you. Most underrated and most overrated. Uh, underrated? I actually have Lex Luger. I Knowing how sh- shitty his music was in WCW... <laughs> I thought he was going to be a little bit more forgettable because uh, when I watched, he was in the Wolf Pack and he was just kind of a background character as far as I remember. And I wasn't a fan of his WWF run either. And that's usually kind of what I know him from. Uh, I think he's been one of the hardest workers. He's constantly on Nitro every week, especially out of all the top guys. I think he's been one of the most consistent workers. And I mean, even though his promos are, are still terrible, but he's shown glimpses of being decent and his storytelling has, has been there. As far as guys that I've been pretty disappointed with, Macho Man, it's definitely up there. Piper, I would say they're they're both kind of similar. Macho Man, I'm just more disappointed because I know he's done such great work, and this is probably one of his worst runs, maybe. I mean, who knows how bad his stuff is later on. We'll see. And yeah. Piper, same similar kind of thing. He's built up as one of these legends, and I thought he was just one of the low points on this pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't have picked them. I, I agree with you. I think the only reason I wouldn't have picked them is because they're not there enough. 
maybe Savage probably is actually, but I think Piper is literally there a month, so I'm like, uh, whatever. Yeah, that's that's been a little unfair, but that's that's who comes to mind when I was like, oh, oh yeah. I was really let down. This is such a huge angle, and I thought even though he had the surgery, I thought maybe he could pull together something, either like a good promo, which he didn't really have, you know? I thought he would have stepped up in some aspect, but he didn't. I thought he failed in pretty much almost everything. That's fair. I, I think that's fair. I think um, underrated, and this isn't underrated by people, this was underrated by me, Rey Mysterio. Like, I was told he was great, but I've only ever seen his WWF stuff. I never saw his ECW stuff. I never saw his WCW stuff. I've just heard great, and I watched reviews of, you know, four and a half star matches, but every time he's on the card, it's amazing. He's doing spots that are insane by today's standards. His matches are kind of the same as he's the underdog, but he plays the underdog so well. And yes, he's in the ring with guys that know how to play up to that, and they know how to be the powerful like heavyweights and they make the matches. But he's having regular four to five star matches every time we see him. And even though I heard he was good, he's even better than I thought going in. Overrated, there's a couple. And this one might be a bit controversial. Eddie Guerrero's been bad. Pay-per-view-wise, yeah. I still recommend checking out those Nitro matches. I, they were fantastic yeah, I have heard, matches. I, I've heard uh, not only from you guys, but just reviews that he's worth watching them. But pay-per-view, from my view, all his pay-per-view matches have been mediocre to bad. And uh, that's unfortunate. I, I, I know he has better stuff coming up in the future, so that's going to improve. But in the same vein, one of his opponents and one of my favorite guys from WCW, DDP, wrestling-wise, has been boring. He gets better. It takes him a while. I've heard he gets better. But at the moment, those are two guys I was looking forward to their matches, and maybe not anymore. We'll see as the new year comes, uh, the, the <laughs> podcast new year comes along. But yeah, those guys have a lot to a lot to show because none of these have been their good matches so far. I wanted to ask him um, since we were asking things, who do you think's been the most underutilized person? Ooh, there's a couple of people who've only had one pay per view match. Like it's a hard question. Yeah, Regal <laughs> comes to mind. Although in the past like month, he's been utilized more, but. Since we haven't seen him before that, and we didn't know he was like the TV champion, I, w- I would say definitely uh, Regal. I kind of want to say Mongo. Not because I like him, not because he's good, good, but they obviously want to push this guy. They put him in the Horseman. They're making a big deal out of his past, but they give him like two matches, two out of six, and then some appearances to say racist things. If you're going to push a guy, push him. If you're not going to push him, don't push him. It's, either way is fine. Just don't. Half our so on that note, Ric Flair might be injured, but having Ric Flair just be there, have him be on commentary for a match. I understand that he has undergone uh, undergone surgery and stuff like that. Have him sitting down backstage and just say something. The man oozes charisma. Money falls off him. Fans' money just falls off his back wherever he walks at this stage in his career. Not having him just on TV or just on the pay per view. Your biggest pay-per-view of the year, the one that he's main evented like a million times, seems insane to me. Yep. Actually, now that I think about it, Scott Hall, that's the biggest one. Scott Hall is pretty underutilized. I mean, I know the outsiders are pushed huge, but I think I said on a past episode that like his promo work is so good, you need to utilize this guy more. You know, he just doesn't really go much anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you can... I mean, I know Kevin is, is lazy and stuff, but you can argue the two of them are underutilized yep. because they're just so big as draws. And you're like, why aren't you using them? They're just their tag team champions and they could be doing so much more. There's probably various political reasons yep. and stuff going on. So I, I would agree with Regal as well. Regal is probably, he's on it like week in, week out on Nitros and Saturday nights. And he always puts in a lot of effort and he's just a really solid wrestler. 
there's no referencing to him whatsoever. Also, I'm very disappointed we haven't seen Glacier on paper. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Glacier. Your time is going to come soon. <laughs> so let's go. And then I, I guess the only other one I was going to ask, but I'm pretty sure I think we'd agree, is um, I think Bash of the Beach is the best pay-per-view we've uh, Bash or this? Bash or Starcade? The end of Starcade makes me a bit sad and like, oh, groan. But this has two pretty excellent cruiserweight matches. Like, even its bad matches aren't terrible, is where I have it. Like, the giant Lex, is it great? No, is it terrible? No, it was, I watched it. It was fine. Main event, is it, like, unwatchable, like Giant Hogan? No. It, it's it's fine. No, but we're talking about Bash, uh, Dave. Bash is the Yeah, reveal. but that has, like, the silver dollar match. And... <laughs> actually, yeah, it does, actually, it does have its... mind. The silver dollar match is pure gold. I'm back on the bash. I think I think bash is the best through storyline, and it has passable yeah, yeah. stuff on it. It also has the two best matches that we talked That's about. That's true. Obviously, yeah. it does have Ray's <laughs> best match. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll say that. I'm still high on Fall Brawl, but I I, I can definitely make concessions to either Starcade or, or Bash. Yep. I think it's fair to say as well that like I honestly thought the pay per views were going to be much worse. Like, the quality of them was going to be way worse than they have been. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought yeah, so. Yeah, same. Like, I didn't think there'd be three watchable pay-per-views. <laughs> and we've just named them. Yeah. After Hogwild, I genuinely thought, what have I got myself into? <laughs> well, you're going to feel that after we watch Sold Out, I, I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I think 97, we, we already said, is the year that we get Randy DDP, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I've heard great things, and it's kind of a turning point for DDP's career i think it's the year we also a lot of spoilers here we get kurt hennig in wcw yep. and he he he's being underutilized but he does have some decent matches including a run with ddp i think near the end i think he's currently having contract disputes and that's why he's not or he has like a no compete clause or something that's why he's not there yeah, yeah. but i think he's signed already oh sweet yeah, there's a lot to show in 1997. I mean, it's a really big year for wrestling Yeah, when you think about it. Because, I mean, you have the Montreal Screwjob. We have Dennis Rodman to look forward to. Can't wait for that. <laughs> Is that 97? Is that that soon? It's 97. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yep, it's coming. I don't think Carl Malone comes in 97, but Dennis Rodman definitely starts in 97. Buckle up. I'm really looking forward to the payoff to Kevin Green. I really hope he comes oh, back. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be amazing if it does actually happen i've no no faith in them actually doing it but another big moment though wcw versus nwo world tour video game comes out that's a huge moment that is basically what got me into wcw yeah, so it was a massive game yeah wrestlemania 13 that's a landmark pay-per-view for wwf and then we have starcade 97 huge controversial event there too so a lot going on in wrestling uh for 97 i can't wait yeah i can't wait you see, this this year is good is good for me. I think in general because while I know the rough outline of the NWO storyline, a lot of this I haven't seen now. Yeah, same. Like the, these six months, I I knew the rough beats of it. I knew what was going on. I knew what was coming. And apart from Starcade, where I know that Sting is going to have his final confrontation with Hogan, like he'll finally get to to meet him. I don't really know the in-between and I don't know all the stupid shenanigans they're going to do to drag this storyline out yeah. <laughs> for a full year. So I'm looking forward to that. I think more than anything, not even specific people. I think the people that I'll be looking forward to are all the same ones anyway. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see how poor it can get. <laughs> well, I think what I'm excited too for is there's a real huge boom in interest in wrestling during this year, particularly. I mean, like yeah. both both companies very they gain a lot of traction, particularly at the end of '97. This is like when I start hearing a lot of things. I mean, Dennis Rodman, of course, helps from me being from Chicago as well. But also, like one of my good friends, he showed me that WrestleMania 13 match, the uh, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was probably one of the first matches that maybe. Oh, this wrestling thing, mm. this seems awesome. All right, I can get into this. So it was definitely a pivotal moment, at least for me, as, as becoming a wrestling fan. Obviously, the video game, too. Those two things, a huge, huge part. Something I'm looking forward to uh, soon is we're going to be doing a special episode of the 100 Nitro, a kind of bonus episode outside of the outside of the normal pay-per-views. And I don't watch Nitros. That's kind of my thing. I, I'm uh, th- These guys do the legwork work for me, so we're really mm-hmm. interested Watching Nitro is a little bit over here. I don't know if this is the year, but they start getting like the Nitro girls and the emblem becomes like Nitro, but like the sides of it are like flames and stuff. And it becomes very 90s is what I what I remember. I don't know if that happens this year or kind of the year after. Yeah, the flames is already there. Nitro girls and the, the yeah. three hours thing. I think those both come in 98. I 98. Think. Okay, so it might, we might be a year off. And maybe that's good for me. Because Kid Dave was a bit entranced by this this very obviously over-the-top kind of stuff. But adult Dave might be disgusted that Kid Dave watched a bit of the product in the end. I think, I think all, all, all of our adult selves would be... Yeah, be like, oh, this is what I enjoyed. Don't, don't, don't like, watch this. Yeah, I, I, I recently watched a segment and saw the stable that Major Guns came from. Yeah, oh, God, oh, yeah. Oh. Fast-forwarding way too much. That's a lot. Thank God that's a lot of podcasts away. But looking forward to the Nitro episode for sure. That reminds me too. If anybody has any suggestions of like what you want us to do as like bonus episodes, I, I didn't want to do any bonus episodes at least for '96 because I wanted to get our kind of footing at least for the podcast and the storylines. So '97, I definitely want to do. We're gonna do 100th Nitro for sure. Maybe one other bonus episode. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I want to see what our listeners want want to see. It could either be WCW. I know I've heard like either we can do old WCW, we can do future WCW, we can do one on the current product or something like that. So any suggestions that you really want us to talk about, please let us know. Obviously, Twitter, Facebook, any of those outlets. Yeah, we should. I, I think we should definitely do one on music. That, that, Who got sing music? Yeah, yeah especially because I mentioned it, we have to do it now. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know how many people who are, who are listening to this, are they watching them at the time? And if they really understand how bad this music <laughs> <Yep>. is. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that'd be fun, especially trying to figure out which whose uh, intro music is which. I still get Ray's and Dean's mixed up. Oh, I, I don't get it mixed up. That's the other thing I love about uh, Dean's music. I'll listen to that, like, around the house sometimes when I need oh, to get okay. serious. So. <laughs> uh, Dave, is there anything that really interests you that you might want to do a bonus episode? Either maybe not this year or maybe for 98. I really like the idea of old WCW, like, pretty old before this angle was ever close pay-per-views maybe like even nwa maybe even pre-wcw would be interesting one of the big ones though if anyone suggests a pay-per-view that both has vader and mcfoley on it i'm all up for that i could be talking to that (laughs) that's only like a year or two before this oh it's like three three years ago even that yeah that sounds like a good time though yeah i I definitely am up some of the old wcw stuff is actually pretty cool wcw slash nwa stuff is actually pretty cool when you were talking about Luger, actually, Connor, because there's 
His original NWA run is actually quite good. Actually quite a good wrestler at that at that point. Old Luger is a decent wrestler. Any old Steiner stuff. The Steiners are actually fantastic when they're younger. He's still good now, but he's degenerating into the muscle freak he becomes in the next year. Yeah. To, to bring uh, them up too as underutilized wrestlers, I would say the Steiners yeah, as well. I was gonna say they were, they yeah. appeared on the Nitros a bunch this past month. And I know they're going to be appear in the, the title scene uh, very soon as well. So that's the only reason why I didn't mention them. But yeah, yeah, I definitely want to see more of the Steiners because I know they had that sweet match in, at Hogwild. And Dave, yeah, you're, you're going to be waiting for a Steiner. <laughs> that's at least a year away. But at this point, you can see him get worse, I think. around this time. Ah, I don't think he's too bad now. But, but he's at least a year away before they finally point. decide yeah. to do something with him. Yeah, considering <laughs> how much of a draw they are as well in America. They're, they're huge over Anytime they're anywhere, they get pops. So it's, it's very weird to not using them. It's just a numbers game. Like, there's so many people on that roster. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the big takeaway for me for WCW, just how bloated this roster is. And it almost kind of reminds me of the current product of just how do you fit in all these wrestlers? And I, I know Bischoff kind of uses that as an excuse of like, oh, how am I supposed to make this work? Look, look at all the wrestlers I have to please. But you don't have to hire all these people, you yeah. know, Eric? You could have a yeah. plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, that's going to be more prevalent as we go because we're going to see even more wrestlers come in and not many leave. So. Why, why would you not guaranteed money? I think we'll call it a fact, gentlemen. That's us for uh, another edition of the NWO versus WCW podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle WCW versus NWO podcast. For me, Connor, and Gus, thanks for listening and join us next time when we find out if the NWO can run things by themselves. That's how we end the show. That's how we end the biggest show of the year. Why isn't the face hugging his family? Even backstage, not Why isn't the face hugging his family celebrating under match with no one who wasn't for for some reason that never really explained in his that the comedy everything about and hoping is in the ring showing us how little match went. It's, it's bizarre. And it's, the match is great, but the ending is correct, and the start of it is fine. And also, I can't wait the match. the ring, and it's it's bizarre. Connor, could you make anything out of this? Because I'm struggling. <laughs> that was the perfect way to end. <laughs> Damn it! I'm sorry, Dave. That was all robot voice. <laughs> so. oh, what the best part was is the only thing I heard from you was, "Damn it! It makes no sense." Connor, can you understand my struggle? <laughs> <laughs> I'll start again in a second. Yeah, just just to just to make sure that we have it. Uh, yeah, no problem. It should be fine, but but yeah, obviously we, we didn't hear any of that. So <laughs> okay, okay. Every now and again, I could I could make it. You said bizarre, and that was about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so get, get that frustration back <laughs> in your system.